Hey everybody, how's it going? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the I Gotta Ask podcast. I'm recording this intro today in a little bit of pain. I've uh, sprained my sprained my back here on the uh, over the weekend. Um, you know what was I doing? You might ask. Was I involved in some sort of rigorous activity? Was I was I working out? No. Was I playing sports? No. I was bent over the bathroom sink, spitting out mouthwash, and my back popped. <laughs> as ridiculous as that sounds, I'm. I'm getting older and I'm showing that age. Uh, and I'm also showing the how out of shape I am uh, getting through this pandemic and not really doing much during it. Uh, especially now that the weather's been nicer, I should be getting out more, but I'm I'm not. And I should be putting out maybe more of this type of content, but I'm not. I've just been lacking a lot of motivation lately. But, uh, but then last week, an article came out uh, that I came across was in the New York Times, I believe, originally. And the gist of the article was, that the U.S. government is somewhat admitting now, and I say somewhat, and we'll get into that in the episode as to why I say somewhat. They are somewhat admitting that they have crafts that were, or pieces of crafts that were made not on this planet. Um, and so, you know, having a sort of a background interest over the years in in UFOs and um, just extraterrestrial life in general and, and always wondering, you know, have they been here, have they not? Uh, does it exist anywhere in the universe that and they haven't contacted us? All these questions, you know, are always floating around in my head, especially when I see things like like uh, this article. And so I contacted my friend Ryan Vineardwick, who has been on the show before. Uh, super interesting guy, super smart, much more intelligent than I am, and always has a, a very interesting take, a very critical look at uh, a lot of the things and that we've talked about over the years. And I wanted to get his uh, his input on this, uh, and I figured he'd have some good info, and, and he did. He came prepared. Uh, he uh, looked into the article. He looked into a, an interview that I asked him to watch featuring a gentleman by the name of Bob Lazar, who is uh, somewhat of a you know UFO truther, for lack of a better term. Um, and we had a great discussion. We talked for two hours and, uh, you know, didn't have any lulls. And, you know, I think, I think it went very well. And I think you'll enjoy it. So without further ado, here's my interview with Ryan Vanierdewick about UFOs. Check, check, check. Yeah, I'll probably be talking like this the whole time. That works. That's all right. Say something again. Check, check. I am talking on the mic. We're talking about UFOs and the possible existence of life beyond uh, our planet. Yeah, that's working better. I just had to turn the gain up on your mic a little bit. It was just down. Yeah, a bit. yeah. Okay. Well, it's not a bad move to back off, you know. <laughs> but we got compressors, so we're good. We got compressors. What's uh, what's a little podcast with a little compression on it? That's true. All right. Uh, so Ryan, thank you for being here again, man. I appreciate you doing the show again. Yeah, no problem at all. I uh, <laughs> it's kind of a weird, a weird week. I got. I was looking on Instagram and I see this uh, this New York Times article that was posted by um, someone that I follow that says the Pentagon has released information surrounding. The existence of UFOs, and I think they said the exact quote was, crafts not of this w- world or not of this earth. That was what the article said. That's what the headline said. Yeah. So I started looking into this, and I'm, and I'm like, what the hell is going on? Because I knew they released the videos uh, or declassified the videos that everybody had seen already, which mm-hmm. have been around for years on like YouTube and stuff. 
where they declassify these videos of these UFOs, which they don't call UFOs anymore, apparently, that it's I like, found out. It's like UA- a- UAP or something. Or AFVs. And so I did some I did some frantic Googling. I could find nothing. So I read the I read the article in the New York Times and it really didn't say anything. It didn't say that they had acknowledged the existence of these crafts. It, well, you know how it works, right? The people that write the headlines are not the ones who write the articles. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah. It's the editors who make the headlines. The, That's terrible. The journalists, yeah. So I thought it I kind of figured it was clickbait since I couldn't find anything else on it. So what I did was I, I started diving more into Again, like the article said that the people that came out with this worked for the government previously, but didn't have any concrete evidence of anything, of course. Nobody ever has this this proof. Right. So then I started thinking, since I can't find anything on this, is this more of a distraction tactic by the U.S. government to declassify this stuff and release this stuff based on all the other stuff that's going on in the States right now, the civil unrest the uh, surrounding the Black Lives Matter movement and also the COVID-19 stuff going on down there since they're spiraling out of control with that disease. I mean, we can speculate. That's all we can do. Well, that's what, that's what I'm saying. So it, it, I started diving into this and I thought, I wonder what other people think about these, these stories that I've been following and these people that have been coming forward about, you know, UFO um, details that they know and, and things like that. Mainly this guy, Bob Lazar, who I asked you to look into a little bit before you came here. Yeah. I did a cram session yeah. a couple of days ago and, uh, watch that Joe Rogan interview that you had mentioned. Yeah, which was excellent. And I don't know, how did you feel about that guy? Did you th- you think he's a bullshitter? Um so I was surprised and pleasantly surprised I should say when the interview started. I was ready to Well, let me let me go into a little background of me with aliens. I don't know if you how deeply you and I have discussed this before. Not a ton, a little bit here and there. Okay, so at some point in my youth, um I'm talking like eight years old, maybe I became aware that there were people who had claimed that they'd been abducted by aliens and people who had really claimed to have seen these flying craft, whatnot. And I became really, really interested in it. And I would eat up like unsolved mysteries, uh, that show sightings with Tim white. I would eat that shit right up. And to the point where I'm sure even to this day it affects my sleep. Because I was genuinely afraid I was going to be abducted by aliens in the night. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. And after I saw certain segments where people were saying, yeah, they came through the walls. Jesus. Well, now, now I don't just have to monitor the door and the window. Now I got to monitor the walls in my room, too, while, <laughs> while I'm trying to go to sleep. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I was like <laughs> deeply interested, but also disturbed. Um, you know, obviously that fear went away, but I, yeah. I, I think... On some level, I was still interested until maybe the end of high school. Right. And then it just kind of, I guess it kind of trickled off in the in the way that that whole scene kind of seemed to trickle off around that time too. Yeah, yeah. And like it, once people stopped being interested in like, what was that, that uh, Whitley Strieber book, Communion or whatever, was a big deal at the time. I think I that was from the I 80s. I don't know that book. Yeah. And then I read the Communion letters, which were uh, something that, people who had read the book wrote in and talked about their own experiences or mm-hmm. wh- or whatever. So I was, I was interested in that stuff at the time. Um, I think, and I, I would consider myself an, a non-believer in the sense of, I do believe that there may be life on other planets. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that any of that life has reached earth. Right. So when, 
Bob Lazar started talking. I was pleasantly surprised. I was ready to hate this guy. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, he has this charm about him. Like, And that's why I asked if you thought he was a bullshitter because... I don't think he is, but I also don't think he's crazy. Like, I think I definitely think he's a guy that saw some stuff, yeah. but I don't know if he knows what he saw. So hang on before, yep. we, before we move forward. I don't want to cut you off there, but I just want to mm-hmm. tell the listeners if you don't, if you guys don't know who Bob Lazar is, let me give you a little background about Lazar. So Bob Lazar is this uh, sort of an eccentric character. He claims to have worked at a facility called S4, which is um, south of Area 51, uh, according to him. And what Bob Lazar says is he was somewhat recruited for his um, his talents in, in with physics uh, and working on nuclear weapons and things like that to, to work at S4 uh, and help basically uh, back engineer what he thinks is alien technology, technology that is not of this planet. And so he worked with a gentleman who he refers to as Barry, and I wish I had Barry's last name. He does mention it, but I, I don't know what it is. But... Um, and between him and this other gentleman, they worked on what he thinks is a gravity uh, propulsion reactor. So instead of a typical way we consider flight um, or how flight works or how propulsion works through our, our known uh, scientific properties, he thinks that this propulsion system works on gravity, which is something we have never mastered. We don't even really know what gravity is. We don't know if it's a wave or... or I guess they have proved now, right, Ryan, that it is a wave. Yeah, they've confirmed they found it in 2015. They've, like I think, well, it, I know a lot of people are saying, "Oh, Bob was saying this back in the 80s," yeah. and now they've confirmed it. But yeah, he was the first one to say it was a wave. Apparently, but he according to him, but he wasn't. No, okay, there, All right. there was. Uh, it was proposed back in actually 1905. I looked up uh-huh. looked, looked this up just just for confirmation here. Let me yeah. just find my little note here. I, I mean, I guess he couldn't be the first one to have the idea that gravity could be a wave. Right. It, the 2015 was just a, the first direct observation of it, as opposed to it being inferred. Um, mm-hmm. And Albert Einstein wrote about it back in, I think, 1915 or whatever his yeah. theory of relativity was. Right. It, there, it was mentioned in there. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. Yeah. So it's it's not... His it's not I- an original idea. It's not his idea. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, at the, by the, at the same time, like... It, it's one of the many things, you know, coincidentally or not, that he's sort of been quote unquote correct about. And I put that in air quotes because some of the things he said have sort of shown up in these videos, these UFO videos that have come, come forth. Right. And I think we'll probably touch on that a bit more about how, how that works and also doesn't work. Right. Um, So he also claimed, so in working on this, on this gravity propulsion reactor, he also claimed that this technology, he read, uh, briefings from um, the Pentagon or whoever was giving them these briefings, whoever was working at Area 51 and S4, that this technology came from the Zeta Reticuli system within our galaxy and from specifically the third planet from there, which is a binary star system. There's two stars in that system, and it came from the third planet. So, you know, that's where his story start, started to get a little kooky for me. It started to sound like all the other typical abductees, and they start rhyming off all this crap that you know may or may not make sense right and i think whether this is true or this is just a way he's protected his arguments Mm -hmm. um when he says that uh this is just stuff that i read yeah so he's kind of protecting himself by saying this didn't come from me this is just something i read right and then the second thing being when he says 
They intentionally put nonsense in the document so that if it leaks, right, uh, they know they can trace it back to the source right. because this version of the document that this guy read had this piece of bullshit in yeah. it. Yeah, the thing that screws with my head is that could be true. That sounds well, like the kind of crap right. the government would do if they were trying to. Right. So right? it could very well be the way they operate, but yeah. but it's also a good way to protect yourself against. You know, if you say something, and then it's it's demonstrated to be false later. You could say, "Well, that's just what I read," right? And they intentionally put falsehoods in there, right? So, yeah, it's tough to gauge credibility when that's part of it. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. There was a number of things in that in that interview with Joe Rogan, and he's also the subject of a of a film we should mention uh, called Bob Lazar Area Fifty One and Flying Saucers, which is. Um, a documentary put together by a gentleman named Jeremy Corbell. Now, Ryan has not seen this documentary. He didn't have time before we recorded, but I did watch it, and it's not as well done as I wish it had been. There's, It leaves a lot to the imagination, unfortunately, because there was a lot more information that Bob Bazaar had that I thought would have been great in the documentary. It covers all the, the main bases, but uh, it's not. It's it wasn't the best. So one... One other thing that uh, that Bob Lazar mentioned that has sort of come to fruition is this element 115, which he claims this gravity propulsion reactor runs on. Yeah, so... Which nobody knew about when he started working at S4. Right, no, it, it wasn't officially synthesized by people till I think, 2003 in a stable something. In a stable form. Well, it's never been synthesized in a stable form. So It always decays, it just... Right, so the... I, I looked this up because um, I was curious about it. So the right. the proposed stable form, which would have like a half-life of like 2,000 years or something, right. um, would be one neutron more than what they have been able to synthesize so okay. far. Now, the thing where it makes me question that is, for one, in the 80s, you can still imagine that there will be elements a few numbers higher than what you have. Right. Just like since there have been more since 115. Right. Um, and see, that's why you're here, because that didn't yeah. even occur to me. <laughs> all, all that occurred to me was he knew uh, this element 115. But of course, any, any right. element so, that so doesn't here's exist the, could be... Here's the thing. If they had a stable isotope, yeah. why can't he say what it was? Right. Um, they should have been able to find out which one it was just by the mass of each atom. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it seems like there's a lot of holes there. It's, and and then if, I don't know if you saw the 1989 interview or parts of it. Yeah, it's, so, it's in the documentary. Yeah, bits okay. and pieces. So... He says some things there that are, I don't know if they negate stuff that he said later, but um, he said it was a, a positronic um, propulsion system, which is not the same. Oh, I as, didn't catch that. So that would imply that it runs on antimatter, which I don't even know if in the 80s, well, any antimatter we've produced only lasted for milliseconds. Mm-hmm. So... And as a matter of fact, anti-gravity is really dangerous to us because it could produce... No, not anti-gravity, any matter. Anti-matter. Oh, anti-matter, yeah. Potential. Yeah, what did I say? Anti-gravity? I meant yeah. anti-matter. But anti-matter is the stuff where if they actually produce it, like they were trying to in the big uh, particle oh, collider... Oh, they did. They did, but it didn't last very long. It doesn't... Thank God, though. Isn't it? Doesn't it were they worried that it could create potentially like a, a black hole on Earth and suck everything into it? Isn't that what I remember reading? I think it comes... I'm no physicist, but I'm almost certain that it... Jesus com- Christ, neither am I. ...comes right? into and leaves existence all the time. Um, so it might not be so it occurs it, for, naturally, for the, sort of. Thing? Yeah, for the for the quantity that they would have, it wouldn't really right be a thing. Well, it might must occur naturally, obviously, if we know it exists. But yeah, it's supposed to make up like uh, what a quarter of the universe or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Yeah, and I should I should tell the the listeners another thing. I am not smart. <laughs> Ryan is way way more intelligent than I am, which is why I wanted to ask him of all the people I thought I could have on that I could get to do this show because Ryan is highly intelligent and understands this stuff a lot more than I do. I'm flattered. <laughs> But you got to give yourself some more credit there. <laughs> I don't know about that. I just like to retain these facts that interest me and, and then try to poke holes in them where I can. But this story for, you know, you, you're you're opening my eyes to stuff that I hadn't even thought about. And, and that's why I'm glad we're having this conversation because I really was sort of, I, I don't want to say I believe that everything he said, everything Bob Lazar said, but a lot of it made sense to me and it, and it kind of... I think he's a very smart guy. Yeah. So either, there's, I think there's two possibilities here. One is he's being honest or mostly honest or two he's smart enough to have covered a lot of his bases yeah um now what was what was the uh i'd watched something about uh body language analysis of him in his interview yeah. mm-hmm. um what was the la- what was the word they used to describe his body language um yeah they said they said that he came across as deceptive Mm-hmm. A little bit. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he is. He doesn't seem like the kind of guy who wants a lot of attention. Yeah. Um, I wonder if, you know how sometimes an untruth can get away from you and then it's yeah. just too much trouble to admit that it was yeah. a lie? Yeah. Um, the, thing with, the thing with him, though, is like <clears throat> if he doesn't want the attention, he does definitely come across as a guy that doesn't want attention. Why would he come forward with all this crap? In the first place, that's the I guess that's the real mystery here, right? Well, it's possible that if it was a lie, then it might have intentionally or been intended for a smaller scale, right? And because he claims that all he really wants out of this is for the scientific community to be able to study this stuff and understand it and try to make some kind of breakthrough, right? But if that's so, and he had access to a few things that at the time would have been unknown to the scientific world, why is he not able to say more about those things? Like, for example, that isotope, you know, mm-hmm. which isotope was it? I wonder if they just didn't have the testing to uh, back then to to figure that out. How would they like, know what element it was then? Well, they I don't think they did, though, because it didn't even have a name, right? They just called they called it element 115. Right. But you you that that refers to the number of protons. Right. In the atom. So that if they can measure that, they should be able to measure the mass as well, hmm. which would tell you how many neutrons are in there. Right. So, I mean, that would tell you what isotope it was. Hmm. So I, the fact that that stuff's kind of left out um, is suspect to me, but maybe yeah. I, I haven't. I you know I'm I only found out about this two days ago. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you've done an incredible amount of research <laughs> in a couple of days, and in fact found more stuff to send me for me to research prior to this. So uh, I appreciate that uh, that you taking this seriously. No, <laughs> as, no problem. As man. seriously as we can, speaking about extraterrestrial vehicles and and their inhabitants, possibly. Yeah, I, I well, I made a point to make notes while I was watching because if yeah, I had to remember if I had to remember it afterwards I wouldn't have been able yeah, to. Yeah, so did I. And I didn't take a whole ton of notes because this is that was that'd be the second time now I've watched that interview through and I and then I watched that documentary which had basically a lot of the same information that he had given out on Joe Rogan. So it wasn't uh it wasn't a whole lot for me to write down. Like it wasn't an insane amount of research to do because I'd already heard a lot of it. But at the same time I appreciate like I said, I appreciate you diving into it for me so that we can discuss it. Mm. Um so an, another thing uh, that I was wondering, if he was working, you know, like you're saying about the, these these parts of his story that don't really make sense. Mm-hmm. So if he's, again, with, with the element thing, mm-hmm. if he worked with this Barry guy, where the hell is Barry? And why has he not come forward? Well, you know? yeah, I, I was 
I remember the name Barry came up, and then in my notes I put Barry in quotation marks with a question mark after that. Me too. That's exactly what I did. Yeah, and I'm like, who's? Yeah, I didn't have a chance to look up who Barry was supposedly because I got no context. He's just his coworker. He was just the guy that worked with him at the lab at S4, right? um, Who introduced him to all this stuff, and apparently Bob Lazar was replacing Barry's old assistant that apparently died in. Um, in some kind of horrific accident. Oh, was that the one where you talked about where they tried to do something with the reactor? Yeah, they tried to cut into the reactor with a, with a plasma cutter. And see that that's suspect to me too. That's very like he acknowledged it, but at the same time, I can't believe that the government would actually do that, which would be just try to do something as crude as that. Well, according to him, all they did was compartmentalize all these different people to study different parts of the craft. So they never actually knew anything about them, which again is another convenient thing for his story, right? Because he claims he only saw the one craft of the nine. Right. And it wouldn't surprise me if it actually does work that way. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me. Sure. I mean that if you're trying to keep something top secret, that would be the way to do it. Yeah. But again, if he replaced this other guy and he worked with this Barry guy so closely, why is this Barry guy not come forward and corroborated at least part of his story? Were you able to find a name, like a full name or anything? Yeah, it's it's out there. He's he says it a number of times and I uh I uh, didn't write it down, and I should have. But um, the only full name that I think he gave was Dennis Mariani, who was the person that he had to report to his his supervisor. Yeah, but he did give Barry's full name. I just can't remember what. So is uh, Dennis Mariani still alive? Has I he don't said know. anything? I have no idea. No, nobody said anything. Nobody from this supposed base, this S four base, has or or test facility has said anything about anything. I've also heard, one. but I don't know if this is true. The whatever he did. You know that newspaper article in 1982 where he said he built this rocket car yeah. or whatever, and that's what generated So that's where he worked at the Los Alamos lab. Right. So back that, then... This is prior to working at S4. So I've heard that that, is the on, that article is the only record of him working at Los, no. Los Alamos so, lab. So they tried to wipe this guy's... That This is the other part of the story that freaks me out. So if he's lying, why would the government go to such great lengths to cover up this guy's tracks? But did they figure out that... It actually was covered yeah. up, and it yes. wasn't just yes. it wasn't just him claiming it. Yes. So he went to MIT. They tried to the government apparently put pressure on MIT to say he never went there. They found out that that was a lie. Hmm. Then they said that he didn't that he never worked at Los Alamos because Los Alamos is a weapons research lab. Um, okay. In, I believe it's in Nevada, but don't quote me. Um, Area fifty one is clearly in Nevada, but mm-hmm. but uh, Los Alamos, I'm not sure exactly where that is. But he when he worked there working on nuclear weapons for the government or nuclear wep- weapon research, um, they claimed he never worked there. They said, you never worked there. Then there was an article that said he worked there mm-hmm. in the newspaper of that year. And then they actually somebody came forward with an internal phone book, a listing of all the extensions. Oh, okay. With his yeah, I remember I'm talking well. about that. Okay. And I, he I wasn't also, sure if it was just the... Because anybody can claim in an article they yeah. work anywhere. Yeah. And then the other thing he said was, at the Los Alamos lab when he worked there, there they had some kind of a crude biometrics hand scanner that measured the bones in your hands. So you put your hands up in this... In this was that at that or was that at the last... No, this was, the at, this was at Los Alamos. Okay. This is another way they corroborated that he worked there. They said... He said, well, what about the hand readers? They've got these hand readers that nobody knows about. They're, they're secret. Mm-hmm. And they said they don't exist. And they went after them. They said, well, let's see it. And, and they said they don't exist. Those hand readers don't exist. It's fiction, blah, blah, blah. Well... It does exist. <laughs> Pictures surfaced from Los Alamos lab of the hand readers. Yeah. Right. So why did they try so hard to poke holes in a story and make him look like a crazy person and this eccentric if if really he's just that and right. nothing else? I mean, I don't know. It, it, it could be one or the one thing, which would be he's telling the truth and they want to silence him. It could be the other thing is that they want to distance themselves. Yeah. Because they see him as this whack job that they don't want to be affiliated with. Right. So I, I don't know. I don't know the answer. 
And neither do I. And that, and that's where things get weird. And that's why I want to discuss with you because all of a sudden, like I've been following Bob Lazar's story since he was on Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan's been talking about him a long time. I talk about Joe Rogan on this podcast a lot because that he was a big influence on me starting this show. Um, I like the idea of speaking to people who know a lot more about things that I don't and have conversations with them where they can educate me on things that I don't know about and hopefully make it entertaining for people to listen to and, and also gain some information from listening. And so... I listen to a lot of these guests that he has, clearly. I, I, I listen to the show, and Bob Lazar really struck with me. And, and at first I thought, ah, this guy's kind of nuts. And then the more I thought about it and the more I thought about his story, a lot of it lined up. And I, I hate that because I'm I'm going to say, I'll come right out and say it, I'm fairly skeptical that we've ever been visited by anything. Yeah. Not of this sort. Well, yeah, he doesn't right? come across as a whack job. Yeah, he, and sure. he doesn't. He, he, yeah. he looks very sincere in what he's saying. He doesn't seem like the kind of guy that wants a lot of attention. He did not want to be on that show. He looked very uncomfortable. Right, but that might go hand in hand. Let's say let's say it was a lie from 30 years ago, yeah. and now he's tired of it, and he's like, fuck, I wish I could just outlive this thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, what they've also said is that his story has been rock solid the whole way through, but he doesn't really give a shitload of information. Well, These I'd are be, little driblets here and there, right? That's so I'd, I'd be more uh, interested in seeing the oldest interviews to see how much it, it lines up. The, the thing that threw me off, again... I don't I don't know have the full information. I only saw what I saw in the one interview yeah. and then the other. But if it's based on antimatter or element element one fifteen, which one is it? Yeah. Or do they work together somehow? If it was antimatter, how did it not disappear before you detected it? Yeah. Um Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I yeah. don't know. And then the other thing that was kind of weird is he said like this reactor, quote unquote reactor. Mm-hmm. You know, once you assemble, he said there's no wires connecting anything. It doesn't run on electricity per se. It's yeah. you put this dome on top of a on top of, or a half like a hemisphere yeah. the size of a basketball on top of a tower mm-hmm. of sorts, which in contain the element 115. Mm-hmm. And that the plate that it sat on was a small particle accelerator type reactor right. that powered this or sorry, a, a particle accelerator that powered the reactor. Right. But then he also talked about how much load was on the reactor, and depending how much load was on it, the more gravity it produced. Right. So he couldn't touch it. He tried to, you know, Barry. The first thing Barry said to him when he showed up at the lab that day was try to touch it, and he couldn't. He couldn't reach right. out. So and that, touch that it. raises another question: If to turn it on, you need to put the other hemisphere on. Mm-hmm. How do they ever turn it off if you can't touch it? That's right. That's yeah. what I thought. Yeah. And the other thing I thought was how much load do you put on it then? If it produces more, how, how do you get more load if you don't know how the thing operates? Well, that's another thing. They said, oh, you, you go on board and there's no controls, yet they did test flights. So yeah. who figured out how to control it? Well, that's the thing. And then you ask him that and he'll say, well, I don't know. There's no asking questions. You can't ask any questions. They just shut you down. You're only supposed to be working on what you work on and nothing else. And it's like, well, that sounds like a load of horseshit to me. You yeah. know, like that's where the story starts getting squirrely. Yeah, because it seems like that wouldn't have been... That probably would have went hand in hand w- with what he was trying to figure out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've uh, yeah, I did. I did kind of make a list of the few things that didn't quite line up. Mm-hmm. Um, and like his story is, I mean, for for all the holes we're poking in it, it is. If you want to believe that there's aliens out there, it's it, an interesting story. It's an interesting story. Oh, for sure. Like he said, there was nine craft, all different. Yeah. Right. So yeah. the one that he claimed to work on, he calls he he you know mm-hmm. cutely refers to as the sport model because it was real small. Right. And there didn't hold a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And apparently it's pretty fast and it, and it can maneuver like like nothing else. Right. But 
all the craft should be able to do that yeah. if they're all powered by the same propulsion. And, and, and apparently, if aerodynamics don't matter in the case of these yeah, crafts, exactly, because yeah. they're defying the, the laws of physics anyway, according yeah. to him. So yeah, and then um, I, I guess I was glad to see that he didn't bring up Roswell. Cause yeah, he didn't talk about Roswell at all. Yeah, because he doesn't want he he's more he claims to be more interested in the technology than yeah. the existence of extraterrestrials. He doesn't align himself with people. He says he gets calls all the time from people that um, claim they were abducted by UFOs and they want to talk to him because he's had exposure to their technology and blah, 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 blah. Right. And he wants nothing to do with that. He he wants the scientific community to yeah. have a hold of this technology and work on it. He never claimed to see any beings anyway? No, he didn't. He once. He said he saw one once. Oh, did he? In the, in the documentary. In the documentary, he says he walked by and he looked through, when they were walking through the hangar, the one of the days at, at S4, he looked through a square 12 by 12 or 10 by 10 window in one of the doors Okay. into one of the separated hangers. Each hangar was separated by a separate door that could open and they could all become one big hangar. But he said they were usually closed. Then he said he looked in one day and he saw two guys in white lab coats talking to something small, he said. Mm. But he said it was a tenth of a second glimpse. He said he didn't, because there was no staring. You weren't supposed to look at any of this and stuff. And was, was this thing humanoid? He said it was humanoid, but it was very small. And he said, then they asked him in the documentary, do you think you saw an extraterrestrial that day? And what he said was, no, I think it's more likely that I saw a mock-up of an extraterrestrial that they were using to sort of get size guides. He, th- he thinks that's his best guess as to mm. what he actually saw. That's fair. But well, that's the only time he said he saw anything well, humanoid-like or alien-like. One of the things that made me stop believing in aliens having having visited Earth was the more I learned about evolution, the more it doesn't make sense that anything from another world would look like a human. Right. Because yeah, it's already a series of accidents that happen at different stages of our development that yep. got us looking this way and being this way and, exactly. locked, and locked it kind of into certain... Rules. About yeah, we're our, a product our, of our environment, right? Right, but we're also we also have rules to our body plan mm-hmm. that can't like we're too deep to have those things change now. Yeah, um, like having four limbs, for example. Yeah, we're not likely to ever have six or eight limbs. Then right. there's a reason for that. I'm not a biologist, but yeah, I'm sure a biologist could break down why that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is really just an offshoot of our fish ancestry. Yeah, yeah, four, four fins, which turned into four limbs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and you know. The the um, who's the uh, the reporter that broke his story initially? Do you remember oh, what his name was? Uh, yeah, George something. Hold on, George, George Knapp. Knapp. Yeah. George Knapp. So George Knapp has a has an interesting theory about that. And George Knapp is an investigative reporter. He's not a scientist. He's not anything. Yeah. But he has a good imagination. Mm. And what he thinks is that we may potentially have been made by these people. But then that you, then you have to ask, what about the rest of life? Aliens. The rest of life on Earth that also can be demonstrated to be from the same tree of life that we are. Yeah. Yeah. Like whatever, if there are aliens, mm. like a pine tree, you're more closely related to a pine tree than you are to them. You mm-hmm, know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because we all came from sort of the same building blocks. Exactly. Yeah. So with, like if there's life anywhere else, it has a different seed. It mm-hmm. might operate by different rules. Right. Um, yeah, the idea that somehow they'd converge on this head on the top, two eyes, a nose, and a mouth, and mm-hmm. two arms, two legs, mm-hmm. and use them the same way we do, I find yeah. that absurd. And the other theory he's got, so so that's a good point, but the other theory he has is that these may be time travelers from the future 
being us. Yeah, I've, I've heard that one. A- and there, there's a good argument for that being made because a lot of these alien sightings, a lot of these, you know, for lack of a better term, like these, uh, I don't want to call them kooks. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you, you, know what I'm, you know what I'm getting yeah, at. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, these, these abductees, for lack of a better term, I guess, uh, claim, a lot of them claim to see these aliens that are the greys, right? Yeah. The, the small body, big head, large mm-hmm. eyes, no sex organs. I've right? also heard that you can think you've been visited by greys by applying magnetic resonance to certain parts of your brain. Really? Yeah. And you can think you had an encounter visited by plasticky gray beings. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's it, interesting. So it, like an MRI machine might be able to sort of induce something like that? Um, yeah, a different kind of machine. I've, they have one. Um, oh, wow. Okay, I did see this in a documentary. Yeah. I will dig it up and give it to you. That would be insane. That would be a, a hell of an experience. That'd be like the, the biggest psychedelic experience. And the, the other hypothesis would be um, because DMT exists in our brains in small quantities anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, what if abductions are, are self-made DMT trips? Absolutely. And that's that's what that's how I've always thought about these these abductees. Like they're th- they're dreaming this up. Right, they're they're thinking something happened that didn't really happen. Yeah. Now a lot of them, I shouldn't say a lot of them, but there are stories out there. Like I don't know if you've seen the new unsolved mysteries. There isn't a, a new unsolved. Yeah, mysteries. I saw that Netflix had that. Yeah. Yeah. So Allison, my wife Allison, watched, was watching an episode the one day, and it was about alien ad- abductees. And I'm going, yeah. come on, like you know what I mean? I'm looking at her and I'm going, are you buying this? She's like, she's like, no, I'm just watching a show. Like whatever, it's just entertainment. And I'm going. She's like, but why don't you believe them? And I'm like, because it does. It sounds too wild. Like nobody else saw it. A giant light appeared right in front of your car, and nobody else saw it in the entire town. Yeah, you know, like it doesn't make any sense, right? These events should be spotted by people mm-hmm. everywhere. And if there's any corroborating, you know, anecdotal evidence, um, yeah. it's always two people that knew each other well and. Yeah, yeah, they're always families that are together. Like yeah. the one family was driving back from the ice cream shop or going to the ice cream shop and it was back in the 80s or whatever and their yeah. car stalls and this thing appears. Well, another question I have when it comes to a lot of this reported phenomenon, why is it so centered on the U.S.? Now, I'm not going to say that people from Europe and whatnot and other maybe other continents haven't reported seeing UFOs. Yeah. But as far as going beyond that, yeah, only the U.S. It doesn't seem like... Canada too. Yeah, like, uh, uh, that's true. But what's his name? But there? I wonder if that's just the influence influenced by uh, proximity. Well, Dan Aykroyd is a is a huge oh, I know UFO believer. Yeah, and he claims that his home in Kingston, near to his his childhood home, he claims to have seen um, crafts. Yeah. Now, I have family members that have claimed to have seen crafts. Mm-hmm. None of, none of them are alive now to say anything about it. But mm-hmm. both my dad and my grandma in Holland in the 50s, they said they saw a huge thing in the sky. My dad describes it as being 50 feet across. This is, of course, a memory of... Right. He wasn't even 10 years old. Yeah. Um, and he said it moved. It just went slowly across the sky. Didn't make a sound. Now, this is over, I would assume, over Tilburg in Holland. Mm-hmm. You would think that if the whole neighborhood saw it like he described... Where's the newspaper article? Where's anything? Yeah. Where's anything? Yeah. Uh, um, so I mean, I know there. I think a lot of well-meaning people can convince themselves of things, mm-hmm. and my family is no exception to that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a crazy story though, like that, because when it's your family, like 
it's easy to dismiss people who are not close to you. Mm-hmm. People that you could say, uh, you don't know anything about these people and they seem crazy and you go, oh, I dismiss that as bullshit. But when it's your own family, yeah. it's tough to turn a blind eye to that because these are people that have raised you, right? Right. But, <laughs> at, they've, but at the same time, I, you know, if I could re-watch an event from when I was less than 10 years old, I right. might go, oh, I know what that is now. Whereas back then I thought it was this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like maybe th- whatever they saw that amazed them, Maybe if they saw it again, they'd be like, "Oh, I know that's a craft that's well known now." But maybe the you know wasn't well known right. at the time. Right. Um, maybe there's a good reason for why I didn't make a sound. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's possible too, right? I I just think that there's usually when you encounter something that you can't explain, uh, the explanation is usually a little more worldly. Yeah. Even though your mind might want to go there. Right. And that's why Bob, again, th- coming back to Bob Lazar, that this is the whole reason I had you here because, you know, his story is very intriguing to me. And this is another thing. So he thought, according to him, mm-hmm. the first time he saw the craft and ran his hand along it, yeah. one of his first days at S4, the thing had a U.S. flag on the side and he thought, oh, well, this is a yeah. an advanced fighter, yeah. right? So he thought he was working just on technology for the new fighter. Uh, you know, allegedly, who knows if he's making this stuff up or not. But if he's telling the truth, it would be a natural assumption to make. Right. right. He's, he said his first reaction was, oh, so those saucers that people are talking about, they're just military vehicles. Right, exactly. Yeah. Which is what I've often thought. I've often thought, you see these things flying around at insane speeds, bright lights. Mm-hmm. Because I've always thought, too, if, if a saucer, you know, quote-unquote saucer, a craft of uh, out-of-this-world yeah. craft, came to Earth, why would it light itself up and make itself known? The sky is dark. If it's night and the sky is dark. Right. And yeah. Unless that's the propulsion system that requires it to light well, up. Well, he claims it doesn't. He claims this propulsion system only lights up. It only produces a small corona when it first lifts off the ground, a small yeah. blue flame underneath it. Yep. And then as soon as it gets to about eight or 10 feet in the air, it hovers silently. Right. So, if, so it wouldn't need light. Right. So a light would be advertising for no good yeah, reason. Yeah. For no good reason. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, but his story starts to make sense. And again, this is why I sort of half believe him and half don't. Because mm-hmm. the way he claimed these crafts are shaped, right? Yeah. Years later, that he has nothing to do with, video surfaces, military videos. Oh, because he says it goes belly first? Belly first. He yeah. described the shape of the craft, and he said at the top there is a, a small, you know, almost like a nipple or an antenna that sticks off the top. Mm. That works in conjunction with the gravity emitters underneath the craft to cr- produce this gravity distortion so that the craft can move through space and time, according to him, mm-hmm. potentially. Uh, and one of the videos shows the craft exactly do that. It hovers, and then when it goes to move, it turns on its belly and takes off like mm-hmm. a bat out of hell so fast that the system on the on the jet fighter can't track it. Right. right? So the video, as far as I know, no... It was declassified, but there was no comment made about what it actually no was. No comment. That's the thing, and that's the thing that really bothers me what's happening with this quote unquote government releasing things in the states, is they're not saying anything about it, which is really driving me nuts. They they've now admitted that they have um these task forces that have huge budgets to investigate these uh UFOs or UAPs well, actually, or whatever they're calling them now. The budget that they describe is only twenty two million, which isn't that big. Twenty two million is still fairly big if you're mm. considering you're you're employing, say, like four Four to seven people on a task force, that, right? For government that spends trillions on the military, that's yeah. nothing. Yeah. That's 
a few houses. Sure, know? sure. And, and I understand that. But it's still a lot of money to throw at people who are just investigating something that ha- really have no physical proof of anything. Well, that's... I, I They did acknowledge that in the interview. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I don't know if this is a case of covering ass, but uh, mm-hmm. he's, Bob Lazar said that private industry had a big stake in this research. Yeah. So, yeah. so the money... The majority money might not come from that twenty-two million, right. if that's true. Right, right. Um, yeah, they might have private invest investors, right? Yeah, like that are interested in, in producing this technology or, yeah. or helping to to reverse engineer it if they have it. Right. So here's another thing. So the U.S. It, let's say they have nine craft. Yeah. You would think other governments also have craft. Potentially, yeah. Right. So why are whistleblowers only in the U.S.? Well, and this is another thing. So that that harps back to another point that I wrote down. So Bob Lazar also claims that while he worked at S4, there were Russian scientists there on the base. Right. Now, then he says once they reached a certain point of understanding in these in this technology, I don't know if it's once they could learn to fly it, I don't know what that point was, he says they kicked them off the base. Well, you'd think they'd go running and screaming and telling everyone, hey, they've, the oh, U.S. government sure, has Oh, for sure, because it was still stuff. the Cold War. Yeah. yeah. So so why did they not tell anyone about it? That's, that's another hole that I kind of poked in it. I was like, Okay, there's Russian scientists there, but they've said nothing to anyone. The Russian government right. has not come out and said, "Hey, the you, we know the U.S. has these craft." Right. It means a lot of people have been successfully tight-lipped. If that's which the is, case, which is almost impossible by today's standards. Yeah, for sure. I mean, people have yeah reported on lesser things. And then he also claimed that these crafts, at least one of them, and I don't know how he knows this because apparently he's not supposed to know about any of these crafts. Yeah. But he said at least one of the crafts he was told came from an archaeological dig. Right, like at least 10,000 years old or something? Well, he didn't say a time. He just said from an archaeological dig. So he said they could be not only old, like from the 50s or the 40s, they could be ancient. Well, that, right? that was the implied. If it's archaeological, that's... Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if you're finding these things, if they did find them, right. where's the article on that? How do they keep that quiet? And if that's true, and let's say the newest craft they have was from the 50s or something. Yeah. Um... That's tens of thousands of years, or at least thousands of years separated. Mm-hmm. Those aliens would have likely switched technologies in between then. Yeah. Because they would have advanced as well, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why there's different different craft, though. Right. So he, didn't, he said he, one looked like a jello mold. Yeah, he didn't comment on how the other ones worked. The only thing he said was that they all had a reactor. He said they had the same propulsion system. He said they were all different, but they all they all used the same gravity propulsion right. system. Right. Because they had multiple reactors, according to him. Unless that propulsion system was just so perfect in its first design, I've had a hard time believing that 10,000 yeah. years separated, they'd be using the same thing. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, Well, especially when we consider how fast technology advances here on Earth. Right. I mean, it's getting faster every day. I suppose some things might plateau when they reach the apex of whatever it is and then just stay that way. Right. But I don't know. That that to me seems a little suspect. But getting back to these videos too. So I only saw the one. I didn't see the other one. Okay. So there's actually three. Okay. So there's one called that Commander David Fravor and his crew. I think that's the one I saw. Is that where it has the tilted vehicle? That's the Tic Tac. And it's the Tic Tac one is the underwater one. Yeah, where oh, there's an underwater... Oh, I didn't see that one. So that you don't see the underwater craft. You only see the craft that was hovering above it. So Commander David Fravor, to give you guys a background, listeners, on who he is, you should, if you haven't heard about him, you should go and pop into YouTube and watch, or pop onto YouTube and watch his interview on Joe Rogan's podcast. Again, this is where I was, in, this is where I was introduced to him. He claims, well, not claims, he has video evidence that there was an unidentified craft that he was sent to go investigate as part of a training mission. He was uh, out at sea 
uh, off the coast of, I believe it was San Francisco or San Diego. I can't remember off the top of my head. I'm sorry. But he claims that he was dispatched for this training exercise. And while he was in the air, he was asked, what do you have on board for for weapons? He told them nothing. We know we're in training mode. We don't have anything live. And they said, well, we want you to go check something out anyway, 60 miles from your location. So him and his, his wingman fly to this location. And what they find is a distortion on the surface of the, of the ocean, uh, like white caps. It was a perfectly calm day. The ocean was perfectly calm, except for right on top of this, what he claims is a, is a cross-shaped craft, and or like a T or a cross, and it was creating white caps above it, like a, like a distortion on the, on the surface of the water. And floating above it was another craft that looked like what he could only describe as a tic-tac, white in color, oval in shape, and he said it was moving around like nothing he'd ever seen above this underwater craft. It was bouncing back and forth and, you know, north and south, east and west in a manner that nobody can describe other than what he says is a, is a ping pong ball in a glass and shaking it back and forth. He says once the craft knew he was there, or he, he believes once it knew he was there, it began to mirror his movements. So he started to circle it. It started to follow him and come about. They... they uh, followed this craft and it came right up toward his his within my like a couple of miles to where he could see it plain as day and all of a sudden in an instant it was gone it just disappeared now his wingman was still up another i believe 20 or thirty thousand feet he had gone down closer to the surface of the water to have a look down to about twenty thousand feet and his wingman stayed up at uh, thirty or forty thousand and he asked if they'd seen it and they said no it just it's gone we saw it in front of your in front of your plane and then it was gone and what radar confirmed was that it had gone, <clears throat> excuse me, 60 miles in less than a second. When the radar pinged the next time, this, this craft was 60 miles from their current location, which is basically impossible by any, any normal propulsion that we have. Is there any uh, corroborating stories from people that were involved in that same incident? Yeah, so, there, so there's debriefs from all the people that were, that were with him. So it, in his plane was him and his his uh, weapons operator in the back, and then his wingman, who is a woman, happened to have her wingman as well, and they've all seen it. They all were debriefed on it and claimed to have seen the same thing. Then, later, I don't know if it was later that day or the next day, uh, another uh, group of fighters was scrambled again, and they actually got what they call FLIR, which is a, a type of military um, pod that can see different different wavelengths of light, so it's got infrared, it can do black and white, uh, like CCTV, or not CCTV, but like what they call TV mode, which is just a black and white mode. Um, it can do, I don't know, multiple things. It can track objects. It's basically... the. the I think it would, he mentioned like thermal or something as well. It right? does thermal. And so when this plane went up that day and actually locked in with this thing with the FLIR, because the FLIR controls all the weapons, so it can actually lock onto a target and hang onto it. So they were actually lucky enough to capture this thing with the FLIR and then get they flip between the different modes really quickly. So they flip between thermal, the thing was giving up, it was hotter than the air around it, but it was giving off no propulsion. Like he said, any other, this Commander David Fravor said, any other vehicle that we know of, any other aerial vehicle, would produce some type of thrust, and that thrust produces heat, and you would see a heat signature out the back. Nothing. They switch to TV mode. He says even in TV mode, you'll see a jet wash coming out the back, or smoke, or something coming out the back of a plane, or a craft. Nothing. And it was moving at an, at an incredible rate of speed. And the people that actually caught the video, you can hear them on the tape um, screaming about how, how fast the thing is moving. Mm -hmm. And that's what, that was really 
really screwed with my head with their video. And on top of that, there was two more. The other two videos came out of the East Coast. And the East Coast... Oh, sorry. One more thing about the Commander David Fravor video, the Tic Tac video, is apparently the radar operators on board the, uh, the aircraft carrier that they were stationed on at that time had known about these crafts being out at sea for up to two weeks and hadn't mentioned it to anyone because they thought it was just a distortion or something more normal. And they finally, when they had jets in the air, they thought, well, why don't you go check this out? Mm-hmm. So that thing had been there for at least two weeks that they know of. Or some other some other crafts yeah. out there. Now, in these other two videos, one's called the Gimbal Video, and the other one is That's, called... Yeah, the Gimbal the, Video is the one I'm thinking The Gimbal of. Video and the Go Fast. So the Gimbal Video is out of... They're both out of New York. Gimbal and Go Fast are out of New York. New York naval pilots claim to have seen different things. Cube-like... Um, cube-like crafts for, I don't know, lack of a better term, we'll call them crafts, in sort of a, a clear beach ball enclosure, mm-hmm. like a, a clear force field or some some type of field around it. And there's been multiple sightings of these things, and the gimbal video, you can hear them, I think it's the gimbal or the go fast video, you can hear them talking about, well, look at all these things, look at all of them, and they're only locked in on one, but apparently there was a whole fleet of them, like almost mm-hmm. like a formation of these things. And again, moving at incredible rates of speed, displaying no visible or thermal signature of any kind of normal propulsion, um, disappearing in the blink of an eye. And these are visible at the naked eye as well? Not visible as the naked eye. So so just like Commander Fravor in the air, these guys had visual... It was, so it wasn't just like an instrument malfunction no, or anything? No, not at all. They And they actually flipped to the, C, like the, the TV mode, and you can just see what looks exactly like what they're describing. It's just it's basically like a dot, a craft. The Go Fast video is the one where Bob Lazar described that shape. So it's a saucer shape mm-hmm. with more of a, a domed... It's got like a dome on one end and very flat on the other side and with a sort of, like I said, like an antenna or a nipple sort of poking out the Is top. Is that the one where they are pretty much locked on it? Yes. Between the brackets the whole time? Yep. And, and, and it does the, the tilt? One, yeah, it okay. tilts and it takes off at such an incredible rate of speed that Commander Fravor said, there is nothing on this planet. He said the fastest plane that he knows of... Um, is nowhere near the speeds these things are taking off at, mm, right? Mm-hmm. So what the hell are these things, right? I don't because know. All if you do is speculate. That's what I mean. So if yeah. they're defi- they're basically defying the laws of physics for travel. They they don't they're not displaying any signature of heat coming out the back, which is the only way we know the fastest propulsion we have is jet engine, right? Yeah, right. Rocket rockets maybe. Now that said, we do have fuelless flight now, so that alone. Yeah. Now that doesn't necessarily explain mm-hmm. the, the rate of speed or anything like that. Yeah. Um. But we do have that, so I would imagine that probably runs a lot cooler. Yeah, like battery powered with, with uh, yeah. turbines or something would be. Well, I mean, we've had powerless flight for a long time. We've had gliders forever. Well, yeah, but I mean, these definitely would not be that. But I'm thinking no. more, more battery powered. Yeah. Um, battery powered, it would take an incredible amount of energy to go the rate of speed that they're going. Oh, for sure, right? So that's really what's been screwing with me with those videos, and those videos have now been declassified, made public, right? Yeah, and and why? Why now? Um, it could just be timing. In, in the sense of it went through whatever process it needs to go through to be declassified, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what makes them decide to do that. Yeah, the 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 biggest thing for me too with these videos is the reaction of the pilots, because what you're hearing is actual cockpit chatter. Yeah. Right. And in there's two I think I think the Go Fast video and the Gimbal video they both uh, are amazed at what they're seeing mm-hmm. and the rate of speed that they're traveling and they're going, what is that thing? And they're all excited that the, because at first they're trying to get the FLIR to grab it and you can see the FLIR is 
is rotating and rotating and rotating, and then all of a sudden it gets a lock. Yeah. And the guy gets real excited because now he's locked onto this thing, and they're looking at it, and it's traveling so fast, right? Mm-hmm. And they're like, what the hell is that thing? Look at it go. And it's like people that fly jets for, <laughs> for a living, when they react to something moving that fast and in a manner they can't explain, mm-hmm. and their reaction is genuine. Like you can hear it in their voices. They are, yeah. they are amazed to be seeing what they're seeing. Yeah. And, and that really messed with my head. As soon as I saw that, it, it kind of gave me goosebumps because I'm thinking, if this guy... And, like, this Commander David Fravor is not a nut. He doesn't come across as... A, he's a very staunch military man, very straight to the point. He explained everything in extreme detail about how all the instruments work on the Joe Rogan podcast. Mm-hmm. He said, there is no way this is an instrument malfunction. We had eyes on the thing. It moved like nothing else. Mm-hmm. So you'd think if you're a military pilot, especially a commander of, of a squadron... Mm-hmm. you're probably going to be briefed on enemy aircraft that might be faster than you. Yeah. You're going to know whatever the, the military knows because they need you to know that in order to do your job to defend the country. Right. And you wouldn't think technology would make that much of a jump in one go. Right. Yeah. So for him to to equate it to something that, to nothing he's ever seen, right, is what is what really messed with me with that video. Yeah. I'm like, what the... And I said to my... I said to Allison, like my wife, we were sitting watching it together and I said... What is that thing? I said, what do you think? She says, I have no idea. So if it is a thing, um, then it's unlikely this will be the last time it's seen. And and that's the thing with the New York videos as well. It wasn't just seen the one time or the two times they caught it on video. Mm. Apparently, they've been out there for a long time. The Navy has known about this and has sort of kept it quiet and written it off as sort of just unknown aerial phenomenon, right? They're not... They're not saying it's UFOs or something out of this world. They're just saying they've known about these things. And uh, as a matter of fact, not to go off on a tangent here, but um, some senators have expressed concern about sightings over top of military installations, namely nuclear facilities. So there's been multiple sightings, spottings, um, apparently documented some, of craft hovering over top of nuclear missile silos. Are those the same sites where they'd be testing tests? Experimental aircraft as well. No, these were missile silos. So, so a couple, at least the ones that I, I was hearing about, um, were above. Specifically, they said above military uh, missile, nuclear missile silos. Mm. So l- launch sites. And they've there's been senators like the I think the you know, senator or the governor of Florida was saying he's concerned because no matter what it is it's a threat because it's over top of our nuclear facilities. Mm-hmm. And he wants to know whether it's a threat from another country or a threat from out of this world, but we need to know what it is, which is why they've now come forward talking about more and more about this task force. And they're apparently going to release information to the public every six months now and all this kind of crap, right? Mm. Um, so that they definitely consider them a threat, whatever they are, but it still seems to me like the government internally may be thinking about it as another country. If the things are moving like nothing else and they're sort of defying the laws of, of physics, you know, then what what are they? And who can create that? Well, Has somebody made a technological leap that far to where they can now produce gravity and and if you know, that is in fact what, what if it is. that is in fact what it is, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't have to tell you. Yeah. It, I it, mean I mean obviously you can only you it's all speculation in the absence of whatever evidence you're looking for to say what it is. Right. But I mean if something was observed and that's that could be demonstrated and that's all you can act on yeah and, and before i saw the video evidence i thought oh this is again this is all like the, the first thing that always pops my mind is 
the Russians, China, someone that's making big technological leaps that we may not be aware of. And then I think, to, and then I remember that the that the U.S. military has spies everywhere. There's probably nothing they don't really know about. You know what I mean? They've probably mm-hmm. infiltrated every major threat to them. You know, as we saw during the Cold War, and the Russians were good at that too. They had people living in the states posing as Americans who were actually Russians and were yeah. running, you know, these espionage programs mm-hmm. here on our, you know, or not here, I should say, I say here, US, but yeah. I mean, you know, in the U.S., in yeah. North America, um, covertly, mm-hmm. you know, blending in. So I'm sure the states is doing the same thing in every major country that's a threat to them. Oh yeah, and I mean, North Korea doesn't have the resources. So no, no, for sure. They, I mean, they can't launch a fucking yeah. ballistic missile without it crashing into the ocean. So th- they don't even cross my mind at all. But, um, you know, yeah, the Russians, I don't know. I don't know if the Russians would be that technologically forward. Have you seen the movie The Abyss? I have not. I've been, I've been meaning to see it for a lot of years and I never seem to the, see it. Because it, this sounds very much like when you mentioned the hovering over missile silos thing, it reminded me of The Abyss. I'll give you just a little gist without going too far into it. But yeah. Um, there's an intelligence that lives underwater that's revealed later in the movie, but whatever. It's kind of, I'm sure if you saw the trailer, it'd probably be implied mm-hmm. anyway. Um, again, this movie was released during the Cold War. There was the idea of a, you know, Russian whatever threat. And, and the guy on board goes a little crazy and brings a missile on board or a torpedo or whatever oh, wow. on board. And, and anyway, the aliens have some judgments about, about people mm-hmm. and the things we do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just it's just it seems reminiscent of the abyss, hmm. except in that movie the aliens live on Earth under the ocean. They they're not from anywhere else. Hmm. Interesting. But uh, sounds like a cool movie. I've been wanting to see it for a long time, and I've heard a lot of good stuff about it, and never got around. Yeah, do to see it. it. I yeah. think it's probably James Cameron's best. Yeah, I think. Now you sent me a couple of videos to watch. Oh yeah, uh, Carl Sagan. Moving away from from Bob Lazar and these crafts. Yeah, one of them was about the Drake equation, basically, yeah, yeah. Um, which is just—it's not—it's not—it's not an equation we can actually do. No, it's all based on speculative numbers, right? right exactly. So yeah, so it's a—it's about if you had, you know, if you could fill in some of these blanks, you could calculate the probability of life somewhere else. Yeah. At this time, that we could make contact with. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been something that's really rattled my brain too, like. In that one, in the 10-minute video, the Drake Equation video mm-hmm. that you sent me. Yeah. that That's a little snippet from Cosmos. I don't know if you saw the whole series. No, I didn't. I didn't. And Even I, though it's old, it's worth seeing. Oh, I know. Yeah. I know. And he talks about that. I'm sure we have more powerful telescopes now. Like, that would have yeah. been before Hubble, right? Oh, yeah. Well before Hubble. And, yeah. and so Hubble, I would imagine, can reach further than that could have. But oh, that, yeah. It's been upgraded a few times since. But that telescope that he was talking about in Puerto Rico, he said it could reach... 15,000 light years. Yeah. And he said that's only halfway to the center of our own galaxy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So the one thing that's always killed me is that's how vast just our galaxy is. 400 billion stars. Right. 400 billion potential systems that could have planets around them that could support life, which is exactly what the Drake equation is. Right. But, or what the Drake equation proposes to... to Yeah, if you're putting all these numbers together, you... I mean, the only only short coming i guess is that right now there's only evidence that one planet has right. life right and so what i always thought was with all those odds with all with all those stars and all those planets in mm-hmm. just our own galaxy let alone the universe right. there has to be life somewhere else right well all the building blocks are there the right. organic molecules are spread throughout the universe right so the chance that it could happen is definitely there yeah 
And so, what, but what I never, what never dawned on me was, and Brian Cox, who's another incredible astrophysicist, who's who's also yeah, I've heard his name before. Yeah, super smart guy. I love listening to him talk. Um, he he brought up something that I had never that had never even occurred to me because I'm a dumbass and he's not. But what he said was, it's very possible there has been life, but the chances that it has that it lines up with our time frame. Yeah, we are a half of a blink. In the in the oh for sure you know, in the in the life of the universe yeah our species is less than a million years old yeah uh, we've only been technological for a hundred years yeah hundred fifty years as far, as far as like being able to communicate yeah. beyond you know whatever we can throw something at yeah yeah that's yeah it's brand new right so of of course there there's a chance that he what he says is it's very possible that in this point in the universe's lifetime. We are the only technological advanced it's possible. civilization. Somebody had to be the first, if that's right. the case, right? That's the other thing he said. He said we could be the first, or he said there could have been an infinite number before us that have come and gone. Right, because that's another part of the Drake equation. It's it, Can they become technological, and can they survive being technological? Right, before they destroy like, themselves. We already have several examples throughout humanity where an innovation brings us forward in one way, but brings us backward in another. Right. Like fossil fuels being one of them. Right. Right? Like it... It, it enabled so many yeah. ways of powering things, yet at the same time it polluted the you earth. Know, so many things that have moved us forward have actually set us back. It's it's that that typical thing you always hear one one step forward, two steps back. Right. right. As long plastics. as plastics, I was just watching a thing about plastics today. Yeah. How many things they, they pro- solved so many problems, but created so many more. And, and we need them. Like the, like the the doc. It's it's also a Netflix thing. It's called History One Hundred and One. Yeah. And the the episode was on plastics, and they're like, without plastics. We don't have medicine. We don't have IV bags. We nothing, yeah. right? Like, and at the same time, it doesn't break down. It never goes away. <laughs> and yeah. we, we're just filling our planet full of this shit that never goes away. It breaks down. Maybe in four hundred and fifty years, they're thinking at they best. don't even know for sure. Yeah, yeah, at best. And we're just filling it up. And they're saying in like the next twenty five years, tw- like twenty five thirty years, there could be more plastic in the ocean than fish. Yeah, and it's like. It's insane. We, we Everything yeah. we have done to bring us to the point we're at is slowly killing us in the long run. Now, I do see, I mean, these are very small steps, but like grocery stores going back to paper bags. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. you know. Getting rid of straws. Little things. You know, but little things. But they it's probably, not. They're, they're not the biggest part of the problem. Right. And I, I, I see certain things as a good effort. Like, hey, these jeans are made from recycled ocean plastic. Yeah. Cool. You do, All you did was delay it from going in the ocean by a decade. Right. It's still going to go back in the ocean when right. these jeans are done. But, you know, but. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It seems, and you know, getting back to our original topic there, like it seems very likely that most advanced civilizations, I, I should, sorry, I, I should take a step back. I shouldn't say it seems very likely, but it seems very plausible that just as we have created things that could destroy us with technical innovation, yeah, as, as could they. Yeah. yeah. And, and maybe they did it, you know, 70 million years ago. Right. Somewhere else. Right. Yeah, the likelihood that we line up with them, like there were there have been stars that came and gone before mm-hmm. ours came came mm-hmm. about. Yeah, so, so yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I couldn't take the other video you sent me very seriously because the guy was oh, the, the su- guy the super British guy. Yeah, the yeah. super <laughs> British guy with the old with the old timey voice. He's like, tell me your thoughts on the teleportation and uh, thought control. I th- I think uh, Carl Sagan was probably annoyed with him too. <laughs> he looked annoyed with him every time he asked him a question. It looked like he wanted to roll his eyes and get up and walk away. Yeah. But I mean, I guess the point of that video was he, it's not, um, you know, for being, I guess, a skeptic. I know the word skeptic has a negative connotation, but it shouldn't because I think cynic is what people yeah. mistake. Um, 
Now, it, 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 the point being that he wasn't utterly dismissive of the idea that there could be life somewhere else. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm a, I'm sort of confused by Carl Sagan. Does yeah. he believe that there is a high potential for life elsewhere or not? What's what's his stance? Or did he have a stance? His stance was uh, uh, because organic molecules are spread throughout the universe and there's so many stars, the mm-hmm. likelihood is high, yet there's only evidence of one. Right. Right. Yeah, so he doesn't really take a stand on one side or the other. Right. It's just the ingredients are there. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think another example he made was uh, at, at the time, I think, of that interview, nothing, not even a probe, had visited Mars yet. Yeah. But he, but he mentioned if, if Mars is lifeless... Mm-hmm. Why is it that it's lifeless, but the neighboring planet has life? What's, yeah. what's the difference between these two planets that are in the same solar system? Yeah, How Mar- did that come to be? Mars is a weird one for me, man. I read a book by a guy named Graham Hancock quite a while ago, um, years before. <laughs> again, this is like the fucking Joe Rogan baby brother podcast. Years before I saw Graham Hancock on Joe Rogan, I picked up this book in chapters or wherever the, the book when bookstores were still a thing before you could buy everything online. And it was called Mars. The Sun. Oh God, what is it now? Is is this an older book from like the eighties, maybe N- before? No, it's not that old. It's it's definitely from the nineties. Um, was this where is he? Is he the guy where the face on Mars thing originated, or is that somebody else? No, but he talks about that in the book. Well, I mean, the face on Mars was disproven. It was a trick of lighting. Yeah, because if you catch it at a different time of the day, it doesn't look like that. That's right. It, it's it's a play on shadows and things. Yeah. Um. But there are other things. So the book is called, here it is here. Uh, I'm sorry, I just lost it again. There we go. Yeah, so Graham Hancock uh, wrote this book called The Mars Mystery. And I picked it up in a bookstore. And I read bits and pieces of it here and there. I'd put it down, I'd read a chapter, and then I wouldn't touch it for months, you know, months. And then I'd pick it up and I'd read it because it was very dry. There's chapters in there that are very, very scientific. And Graham Hancock is not a scientist. Graham Hancock is a journalist. Do you mind if I quickly look him up just to make sure I know no, who you're talking about? No, go ahead. Just because I know that name? Yeah, yeah. He's a journalist. He wrote some other books called Fingerprints of the Gods. Oh, okay. Is he, They're uh, about ancient civilizations. So his, his fascination is surrounding ci- civilizations on Earth that he believes have come and gone, possibly technologically advanced that have been now okay, wiped okay, out. Okay, maybe I have heard of him. I was mistaking him with uh, Eric von Daniken. I don't know if you know that name. I don't name. know that name. I think he did similar things like... Um, hypothesizing like right. oh these these lines in the forest mean this and that was the ancient civilization's way of whatever to well graham hancock talks, aliens, about, talks about that as well um uh, we'll talk about his mars book a little bit first and then and then we can talk about his other stuff but the, the mars thing mm. uh feeds right you know right into the conversation that we're having so a lot of the points in his book point to Mars at one time, and, and I mean, a lot of scientists have also corroborated this, so there was liquid water there. Clearly, we know that. There yeah. are rivers. There are dry oceans. Right? Oh, yeah. It was hypothesized. Well, back in the 1800s, the idea was maybe before that, people thought they could see rivers on Mars. But maybe what they were seeing was the shape of what where rivers were. Right. I mean, the telescopes at that time were shit. Sure, so, sure. I mean... The fact that they could even see the surface of Mars or... Barely. Barely. I, I would assume. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. It, I mean... The, the the gist of the book is what happened to that planet, right? Right. Was there a civilization there? Was there life there? If there's liquid water, you can support life, at least oceanic type life. Yeah, at least that's a, you, you have a, you have a building block at least of life. Right. Yeah. And if it was warm enough, which it should be, right? Because it's yeah, close believe, enough to the sun. Well, it was liquid water. I mean, at that it has lower gravity. Yeah. I'm not sure how that all plays into things. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, it's possible it could get away with being colder instead of liquid water. Yep. Yeah. Well, if it had an atmosphere, it'd be warmer, right? Like we know right now. Well, it has like, an atmosphere. It's just very thin. Very thin. It would have still been thin because the gravity would have been the same back then. Right. Because it would still have the oh, same mass. Oh, that's true. That's yeah. true. It wouldn't pull down as many. Yeah. So the mass would be roughly the same, which oh. means the gravity. It would still have a thin atmosphere. But if the life there evolved to deal with that, that's fine. Okay. Well, then that feeds into the mystery then. And how, how is there, you know, like rivers and cut through the surface of this planet if if it wasn't if there's not enough atmosphere to support liquid water. Well, you don't need an atmosphere for liquid water. You just need to have water, which it still does. Right. In uh, form of ice. Yeah, exactly. If if um if you have the conditions to make it liquid, I, I don't know what what mm-hmm. you need there. Mm-hmm. Maybe pressure or lack thereof enough or wouldn't be enough to to get it to be liquid. You mm-hmm. need more heat probably. Otherwise, you wouldn't have poles right now. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I, know I don't know either. That. Yeah. But uh yeah, but so that book really, and, and he talked about the face on Mars, and he, I think in that book, if I'm remembering correctly, did say that it looks like a face, but there's no evidence that it is a face. Nobody's been there. So when he had written that book, I think up until like 1996, when they sent the Pathfinder mission, I yeah, think, I think up until then, all... It was before that, I think. Yeah, because all the, no, for about 20 years... 97, published 97. Okay, so Pathfinder would have happened by then. Uh, which would have g- given us better images of the surface of the yeah. Mars. For, um, he talks before about that seventy, I think in the mid seventies, uh, when they send the Viking landers, that would have been the best imaging back mm-hmm. then, which was significantly low yeah. resolution. With satellite imagery, he says there's also like pyramid shapes. He's fascinated with pyramid shapes all over, all over our globe. Right now, are they pyramid or are they just roughly pyramid? Roughly pyramid. Because if you're going to have anything with height, a pyramid's kind of a natural shape to end up in just because it can be wider at the base, smaller on top. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of what they look like. He had images in the book of the face and of these other uh, geometric shapes that he said looked like something that could be from a civilization, right? Yeah. And How far does he go with that hypothesis? They didn't look pretty far. Yeah. I I mean, I, I shouldn't say pretty far. Like, it's... Everything comes from a place of questioning, right? Like he's not saying he ha- obviously he doesn't have evidence of anything. He's just yeah. hypothesizing that there could have been a civilization. Right. Coming so up. okay. So he and that Eric Van Daniken guy have one thing in common then, which is the fun to entertain the thought of, but yeah. still no evidence to support. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and where his expertise for you know, I don't know if that's the right word to use or not, but where his area of expertise is is in. Uh, hypothesizing about other civilizations on Earth that have come and gone, that he believes could be technological, and he could believes could have been wiped out by catastrophic events. That which means that would have to; pr- those would have to be either they would have had to leave no evidence somehow. Um, well, he thinks the Earth sort of just absorbed everything over the years, right? Right. And if so it was due to a catastrophic event, like now we have. Okay, so we have fossils of species that lived. Right. Uh, up to, you know, hundreds of millions of years ago. That's right. Um, so that would imply that these things either were so few that they didn't leave much. Because mm-hmm. most things don't end up being fossils. Most things will dissolve. Like right. um, bones don't want to stick around unless there's specific yeah, conditions, right. right? Right. And maybe these things weren't vertebrates. Maybe they were off a, a different offshoot of, of the tree of life then. Yeah. Maybe they were more closely related to starfish. Who knows? I think, 
again, my memory is terrible, but if, if I remember correctly, I think he really means human civilizations. Like, for example, are you familiar with Gobekli Tepe, which is the ancient city that they've been digging up that originally they thought humans were only about 5,000 years old, like like civilized humans. Civilization was only about 5,000 years. Well, I don't doubt that. So now so they're the finding... Idea, the, I, see, that doesn't surprise me at all, though. If, if there's somebody saying, hey, we... This we thought this was the first time this was done. Hey, we find that it actually right. happened before that. Right. That doesn't surprise me at all. Because all the typical history books, and and see, he's been again because he's a journalist and he has this partner who's um. I forget what you call those people that sort of educate themselves and become experts in in a. Uh, his name's Randall Carlson. Is this partner that he works with? Okay. Randall Carlson is not like a a geologist. He's not a scientist of any kind. He's sort of a self made or self-proclaimed researcher of catastrophic event that happened approximately 12,500 years ago. Okay. And that event is? He believes either a large meteor strike or a series of meteor strikes that melted um, or ended an ice age or, or melted large, um, like vast quantities of ice in a very short period of time. So causing is, global is this, flooding. Is this corroborated? By actual geologists? No. And so that's the problem. So there's only one. There's Robert Schock, who's a professor at, I believe, Boston University, who is on board with their line of thinking. And everybody in the, in the, in the community, um, the geological community, writes Robert Schock off like he's a crazy person. Because all the history books are written, right? They think they figured it out. Right. But if we're talking about prehistory. Right. Um, you know, when we have a pretty good idea of when certain ice ages were. There's been many. Right. Um, sure, there was a little ice age just in the 1800s. We just left one. Yeah. Part of why we're thriving right now is because we came out of a little ice age. And but the last one we'd really think of as an ice age would be, I'm sure there's woolly mammoths yeah. walking around at that yeah, time. You exactly. Know I mean? um, exactly. And so these guys believe that civilization, there may have been civilizations that were lost due to this catastrophic event 12,500 years ago. Because they're finding, like I said, they found Gubekli Tepe, which is about 12,000 years old that shows signs of agriculture is a, is a, a quote-unquote modern city, right? Yeah. It had dwellings and um, uh, places of worship and carvings in relief that yeah. they didn't even think were possible that, that long ago. Yeah. Like, there's carvings that are carved in relief on poles of, of animals that are not native to that region. Which implies travel. Which implies travel. And they've got these symbols of... Not only at Gobekli Tepe, it shows up at Gobekli Tepe, but also in other other places of these beings holding these like what looks like a shopping bag or a purse, and they believe that this could have been travelers from other areas bringing technology to these people, right? And that's this, a bit of a stretch, though. I mean, it I is. It I is. I haven't seen the thing, but I yeah. You can even look at religious art from the last thousand years, and, yeah. and you can see some weird figures in those. Oh, two. for sure, for sure. So. Um, like the Sumerians have some really weird stuff that yeah. that language that we still don't even know what it is, right? And they've got carvings and drawings of these godlike beings holding up these uh, monkey-like creatures, humanoid creatures, but with a tail, right? Mm. Like, what is that about? <laughs> and because we can't decipher the Sumerian text, we don't really know. Right. You gotta realize that is. us being us, we've always had imaginations. Sure. Too. Sure. Um, and. It wouldn't surprise me at all if there have been, you know, whatever you want to call them, civilizations, yeah. uh, people doing things that we thought people only did later. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're pretty much at our current intelligence level mm -hmm. over 100,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. 
Um, we didn't necessarily have the know-how and the technology and stuff because that takes generations to build up. Right. But, yeah. The weird thing about their story is that the the figure holding the bag appears in various places across the globe. It's not just there. It's it's a symbol that's carried out throughout a, a bunch of... Much like the... Much how, like how far does it, does it carry? I, I think it's all sort of in that Middle Eastern part of the world. Mm-hmm. I think it's... Because I think that's where... Well, that's where people from everywhere else, their ancestors would have passed through unless you were African. Yeah. So the Fertile Crescent kind of right, area. Right. Um, so, I mean, if that was kind of a cultural bit that traveled. Yeah. Right. Could it originate from them? Sure. I don't know. And then what was the other point I was going to make there about uh, what were we just talking about before that? Oh, geez. Now I forget. Oh, what? Graham Hancock? Graham Hancock. Oh, sorry. Much like I was going to say. So, so that's not the only story that carries throughout a bunch of different cultures, right? Mm. Or, or people of that time period. There, In almost every religion, there's a story of a great flood, right? Is there, though? Yes. Yeah. If the And these guys have cited specific examples, and I can't do it because I'm not, I don't have their research. But they have cited specific examples from multiple cultures and religions where they talk about a, a global flood. But glo- this, but this supposed event. flood would have happened at a time when there was no writing, as far as we exactly. know. Exactly. So these are stories that have been passed along verbally. But then why would every single religion or culture have their own flood story? Do global the, flood do those, story. That raises another question. Do those religions share a common root? Who knows? We don't know, right? And that's that's the thing. But let's assume for a minute that those stories are based in some kind of fact or reality that they're remembering some kind of a memory of something that's long gone right it's very possible that this could have been an asteroid impact that melted pole the 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 ice at the poles very quickly and flooded the earth in a real hurry right and wiped out almost everybody but i know the question of a worldwide flood has been examined pretty heavily yeah by he, by people that deal directly with the evidence that would show up if that were if that were so right. So this is where Graham Hancock and and Randall Carlson um, really make a lot of sense to me because they don't just come with, oh, this is what we think is what happened and here's why we think it happened. They actually have ice core samples that show a rapid um, change on the Earth's in the Earth's climate at the twelve thousand five hundred period mark. Mm. They cite things like boulders in the middle of Washington that have no business being in these prairies basically and there's giant boulders how do they get there something that big can only be carried by a lot of water or an iceberg containing this rock floating on a large quantity of water but what we, we got to be careful of too is sometimes people can say something that sounds plausible to a layperson like us yeah um but a person who spends their life studying that thing can instantly spot that doesn't work because mm-hmm. this that doesn't work because this mm-hmm. um he had they had a debate. Graham Hancock had a debate with, um, I can't remember his name. He's the editor-in-chief, I believe, of Skeptic Magazine. Oh, Michael Shermer? Yeah, Michael Shermer. That guy's problematic for other reasons. He is. He's so he's so off-putting because he can't ever get on board with anything. And well, that, he's also a rapist, apparently. Oh. Yeah, but yeah, that doesn't necessarily mean that the rest of what he says is false, but yeah. you know, he's been pointed out as being problematic Yeah. anyway. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. And yeah. But he, I mean, they debated it, and he tried to poke holes. And again, I wish they had Randall Carlson there because he has. These guys have traveled around everywhere. They've taken these pictures of these these things that have happened, you know, naturally. These 
he's got pictures of these these great walls that have these layers, you know, that look like if you look at the side of the rock, it looks like layers. But what it actually is is what is lines that were carved by water that was receding slowly over time, a vast quantity of water flowing, that that. And maybe these. so, but I wonder. I, I'd be curious to hear because Michael Shermer is not necessarily the guy who would know about yeah, that. Yeah. Um, well, they had Robert Schock on too, and they and they talked to Robert Schock about it, and he sort of was saying. He says what they ha- what they're saying has legitimacy, and I find it weird that only one geologist would come forward. Like, unless it doesn't have legitimacy, maybe. But why and would then? Why would he come forward and say that there was? Why Why would he stick his neck out? Because you can always find somebody of any profession mm-hmm. who's willing to support something that might be in contradiction to the, to their profession. Right. Not saying it's false. I'm just saying that mm-hmm. I I would want to see more. You know? Yeah, and, and I would too. And and I, um, Graham Hancock was at was in Toronto last year, last summer. I was gonna go see him, and I didn't. And I really should have. But his theories of these lost civilizations really fascinate me a lot. For the same reason that what we started talking about alien life mm-hmm. fascinates me, right? Yeah. What do these people know? And because they didn't have a good way of documenting it because they weren't... And I mean, you could argue that we don't have a good way of documenting oh, yeah. it because if anything happens right now, so much of our crap is digital, we'll, we're going to lose it all. Oh, for sure. Right? Yeah. Nothing is written anymore. It's all digital. Yeah. You know? So who's to say that something like that hasn't happened in the past? Oh, it could very well. You know? Yeah. They're finding now... Well, in, the library of Alexandria was burned. Exactly. What, what was in there? Right. What the hell was in there? Yeah. What a loss that was. Yeah. You know, to, to the human race. Like, oh, yeah. all that knowledge just gone. Yeah, who yeah. knows? We might have been way further ahead way than we are further, now. Way yeah. further, way further. I mean, th- they don't know how we built any of that crap back in those days, right? How do the pyramids get built? They're they're built with like surgical precision. The stones fit like you can't fit a sheet of paper between anything. People have come up with ways that could have been with the technology at the time, though, and it might have to do with rubbing stones together and they naturally find it a, a, mm-hmm. a snug edge. Mm-hmm. Um, but you see these big, these big megalithic it. structures, right? Yeah, like. Like, have you seen that one? I don't know where it is. It, it's like a cave, and it's got these giant pillars around this opening to this cave. I wish I knew what it was. Oh, is that where it's carved in the side of a mountain? Yes. And like, but there's stones that are placed. They were lifted and placed, and they came from a quarry that was nowhere near there. Now, how old is that, though? That's at most, what, a couple thousand? A f- yeah, a couple, like between could, two and a half to five thousand. Could they not have had some period. kind of crude crane at that time? I think they must have. Otherwise, a lot of these buildings, like, the Colosseum, among other know. things, couldn't have been made. Well, you'd think, I mean, the Romans must have known about leverage. Right? Yeah. So they oh, would have had some way to figure that out. But you, rem- you got to remember, they only had human power. Yeah. And, and, well, and they an- had animals. Animals. Too. animals. Yeah. But even that, I mean, but with think of the energy you need to move a, a pillar of that size. If you have enough animals and enough, and you've constructed your device mm-hmm. correctly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay, what's the strongest material they could have used? Mm-hmm. Wood. Would to lift it? Yeah. I don't know, like a trunk of a tree. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. But I, uh, the reason I don't know is because I haven't looked into it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, and again, you don't want to get into the. It's a contradiction. Like if if it's it's okay to entertain entertain an idea, but mm-hmm. you don't but you don't want to get into the place of being sure of something in the in the way of like because you can't explain something therefore you can explain it well that's the thing i mean let's let's be clear here i'm not sure of anything i'm yeah. not sure of anything in my own life let alone what happens around the world or what has happened in in you know history long gone yeah 
but I just find this stuff all very interesting because, again, we there's so many things we can explain. Well, the majority, yeah. there's there's been spoken language way longer than there's been written. Oh, yeah. And a lot of the written can't be translated yet, mm-hmm. or maybe never will be. Mm-hmm. And a lot of stuff has just been lost, period. Yeah. So, yeah. There's Now, do I think there's some profound wisdom in the ancient world that we don't know now? Maybe not. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it's really hard to say. And, like, you know, coming from a couple of people who are not experts in any of the <laughs> things we're talking about, it's fun to just to talk about as because we're not experts. It's there's a mystery to it. There's I'm something super that, interested in human prehistory, though. Me too. Me too. And like anytime anybody talks about the potential of having these advanced civilizations that have maybe have come and gone, those guys really captured me with that. Mm-hmm. And and again, like there is, they have evidence, and I, I know that the geologists want to poke holes in it, but I feel like a lot of it is just resistance to the thoughts of new ideas, and you see that. You see that in your everyday life. You try to convince somebody of something that's different from their regular thinking, and they don't want to buy it. They're so rigid in their thinking. Well, it's true that whatever idea gets you first tends to be what locks in, and then if something comes later that is the opposite of that, Mm -hmm. you'll reject it. Right. Um, We should try not to be that. We should try to just evaluate it based on whatever the merits are. are. But then the question is, what are the merits? Yeah. If the merits are there, great. If they're not there, then it should be dismissed. Yeah. So... I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, and that's where I'm not, you know, because we're not experts in that stuff, it's hard for us to say which is, you know, which side we should lean on. But it's fun to think about in a I lot w- of I would have a hard time believing that um, people that are interested in geology are in it for malicious reasons. Yeah. Um, I think they really do want to learn the true history of the yeah. earth. Um, I'd be interested to know, like, like when Randall Carlson talks about, Carlson talks about that, spike that warming spike in that exact period and no matter where they take ice core samples from they find this and they also find this this nuclear glass i forget what the name of that stuff is um all around that time period right in the geological record but it's they, there but did they get the timing right because I, I know there have been periods of intense warming like previous well, uh, I mean, ice mass, course, mass extinctions and the whatnot. ice core samples don't lie though right like it's the timing is there because so, they can tell based on what the core right, is. Right, because the ice core, because the ice at ma- maximum is in the tens of thousands of years, not in the millions. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. So so they see this this huge spike in warming, right? And it's it's like, I've seen the graph, and it's it's not like a little spike. It, it goes from like flat, 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 boom, and it's like this sharp spike in like a matter of like so a year's that, time. So that particular uh, bit, when did they come out with that? Do you know? I'm just curious. When did they like produce their theory? You mean? Yeah, I don't know. Because I'm because I know a big geology guy who is dead now, but Stephen Jay Gould. I'd be curious to see what he said about it if he heard about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that's that's a rabbit hole I'd love to dive down with somebody who is really smart in that field. You know what I mean? Not like an average guy. <laughs> like I don't want to talk to somebody. Yeah. That that that's you know a, a geography teacher at Southwood, where we went to school. I don't want to talk to that person. I want to talk to somebody real high up, but I'll never get that chance. I mean, what are the odds that I will ever speak to somebody like that, you know? Yeah. And get their side of it and have them explain it to me from their angle. Have them actually give it a solid look instead of just dismissing it right off the hop. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Research it and then come talk to me about it and say, here's where it doesn't make sense. Right. Right? I mean, I'm sure we've all been in that position where we've done the work, we know something about something. Mm -hmm. And like I work in computers mm-hmm. and 
I've been in the presence of people who think they know about computers and they want to tell me all about it, mm-hmm. but I know they're full of shit. Yep. Right. I just wonder, do these guys come across to the other geologists yeah. as that? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. You know, people, again, I, I, I'll circle back and say that people are so rigid in their thinking. When they think they're right, right. they are right, and there is no telling them different. Most people, I won't say yeah, everyone, yeah. Yeah. most people, there are people, I like to think of myself as a person that sees both sides of every coin. Yeah. And I understand where people are coming from. Like, I work in the municipal industry, mm-hmm. and I understand where people come from when they think their street hasn't been plowed frequently enough, yeah. right? Yeah. But here's what I hear all the time. My street never gets plowed. Yeah. Right? And then I'll say, hmm, that's funny. Where do the where do the snowbanks come from? Right? Yeah. And then the other thing I hear from the same people, sometimes in the same conversation when we're arguing back and forth, I've had this conversation with family members, extended family members mm-hmm. on my wife's side of the family. They'll say, our street never got plowed. And I'll say, okay. And then in the same breath, they'll say, and then when the plow does come by, it's always when I'm leaving for work. Well... So when is it? Does it never get plowed? Or yeah. does it get plowed at inconvenient times for you? Yeah. Right? And so you cannot convince them. And I'll try to tell them, listen, there's not a chance that every storm that that street didn't get plowed. At least yeah. once. Yeah. Nope, nope, never gets plowed, never gets plowed. You know, they want to fit it to their narrative, whatever they built up in their head as, t- as the thing. And I will tell them that we have GPS records. Yeah. And I'll tell them that we have supervisors for each individual area that go around and check, make sure every street in the route has been done. Yeah. They just notice when it hasn't been plowed when they wanted it to be plowed. Correct. Yeah. It's convenient for them to say it never gets plowed for their side of the argument. Right. And I know better. Right. So I won't sit here and say that these guys, Graham Hancock, Randall Carlson, uh, Bob Lazar, (laughs) are correct in what they're saying. But at the same time, you have to you have to somewhat give them some kind of credit for their expertise. Right. Of everybody you've mentioned. I mean. If Graham Han- Hancock is who I think it is, mm-hmm. uh, Bob Lazar was definitely the more interesting. Yeah. Because uh, I'm almost certain that uh, Graham Hancock is the speculate. It yeah. sounds cool, but yeah. does it have validity? I don't know. Well, he, I mean, he does have some evidence and stuff. Like they're doing, now they're using ground penetrating radar. Like his newest one that he's, I think that he's writing a book on right now or, or researching for a book is they're doing ground penetrating radar above the rainforest in the Amazon. Mm-hmm. What they're finding in, is there are all these structures long buried that's been taken over by the rainforest that are structured like cities. There's there's st- geometric lines and bigger structures than small and smaller structures. That wouldn't surprise me at all. Right. And so there's a civilization that's been completely wiped out. Nobody believed anything could even... Nobody ever had the thought that anything could be under there. Meanwhile, they're finding a basically a buried city, right? Yeah. It's sort of like the lost city of Atlantis thing right and and which we know sea levels have risen a lot in the last well if you it doesn't, thousand, it doesn't take long years. for nature to reclaim right something like just look at uh, chernobyl yeah which should be less inhabitable than most places because of the ra- radiation yeah but, but it's I healing mean, but yeah, na- yeah nature's taken over mm-hmm. and it'll just continue that's only what 30 something years ago yeah um now you know make that hundreds or thousands mm-hmm. of years well, thousands of years for sure. I mean, who yeah. knows how long that civilization's been buried under the rainforest? Because I guess what he, another thing he was citing was that there's plants in the rainforest that have no business being there. And so I guess. What the, do you mean by that? Like well, the theory like they is they've been organized. brought there. They were brought there for agriculture, things that can be that could be eaten that mm. have that were not native to the area that had to where's, have been brought. Where is this people. place that he's referring to? I don't know. In the Amazon, somewhere okay. in the rainforest. I don't. I don't know exactly where. Now the ancestors to the people that live in the Amazon mm-hmm. would have passed 
mm-hmm. through Asia over the land bridge and then down through North America and then into South America. Right. So if they had farmed it all along the way, and mm-hmm. I don't know if they did, but if they did, they would have brought something with them. Sure. I, I would think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but I mean, again, that's that's sort of proving his point, right? You, you've got these civilizations that have previously been thought to not have been anywhere near that, like un, an uninhabited area other other than like, you know, tribes of natives that might live in there mm-hmm. in the Amazon, yeah. but not like an actual civilization where there was agriculture and, far, you know, farming and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. which is agriculture. I don't know why I said that in two different ways. Okay, it's all good. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I just find his theories real interesting, and I, and I, I like the idea that there might have been something humans around, highly intelligent, that may have been wiped off the face of the earth, and then we've just rebuilt. It's been they do have scientific evidence that we were down to like a group of like five thousand people or something at one point. After um, like at, one at least outside Africa, this there was a point in time where the group was really small. Yeah, yeah, because of natural disasters, right? That that dwindled our numbers. Or was that just the seed population? No, no, no. They they said that we had. Again, I'm so terrible with this. My memory is so bad. But I know if if you Google it, it will show that because I have before that there was a civilization in our, like our civilization in large numbers, humans in large numbers mm-hmm. and something, they're not sure what brought us down to a very small number oh, for okay. a short period. And then we repopulated again from like, we were almost extinct apparently according to this. So see, it depends on which time period you're talking about. Cause were we widespread? Mm-hmm. Were we not at that time? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, yeah. And, and again, like Cause if we were widespread, then you think maybe one area would be like that. You know what this needs? This podcast needs a producer to be, looking stuff up <laughs> yeah. because we could be you just look it up in your head yeah i wish i wish it was that easy yeah th- no that's a super like yeah human prehistory in general i'm super interested in that and as we discover yeah. things it's awesome to, oh it's amazing the stuff that they're finding all the time and you know that you think to yourself like we 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 know nothing right like we think we know a lot we think we're pretty fucking smart we know nothing. Yeah. Do you, know? you, do you see that Werner Herzog documentary about the caves in no, France or whatever? No. That were like, I think I think it used to be, you know, the famous cave painting of the horse? The one that, you know, whenever somebody says cave painting, that's the default picture yeah, that, that I think goes. So. I think so. Where it's like brown or whatever. Yeah, yeah. This cave ended up being like tens of thousands of years older than that cave. Hmm. Um, with art within it that people kept coming back. Actually, there would be a, like a picture of a horse. And another picture of a horse right beside it, but they, they were done like two thousand years like apart. They were from adding, each other. they were adding onto it. They were adding onto it, like they were done thousands of years apart from each other. Almost like they knew that was the place to to document. But the stuff. people there would have had no concept for the amount of time they would have just seen that there was a drawing there, but they wouldn't have known how old it was. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, and then they found things like a torch that it looks like it had just been snuffed out, hmm. but like clearly it was snuffed out forty thousand years ago. Jesus. Um, yeah, it's awesome. You should see it. I forget what it's called. That's though. the stuff that blows my mind too. Is the is how how time passes, and again, how small we are in, in yeah. you know, with respect to that time. We've been here for such a fraction of the time of the universe. It's so crazy. Meanwhile, these numbers, you think forty thousand years, you go, holy forty thousand years. That's nothing. Well, yeah, and it's I, nothing. As far as Earth is concerned, I I don't know if you oh you never saw Cosmos, but the whole idea of the cosmic calendar. If you were to look at now I've seen, the or, the, or I think it's the history of the universe, 
And if you were to compress that into one year, what yeah. what happened on one Neil day? deGrasse Tyson did a video on that. Yeah, because he did the second version of yeah, Cosmos. And, and I so I've seen that. Yeah, yeah, they do they do that in both both times, and it's like humans don't show up until the last minute of the last day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god! And and even then, everybody you've ever heard of is just this little sliver of humanity right. be, because that's when we had writing and whatever you know. Before that, there was. As far as we know, at least nothing that we can work with now, there was no writing. Everything was either we were mute or we were passing it orally, you know? Oh, man. And I don't think we were mute. I think we were, we've been talking since probably mm-hmm. before we were homo sapiens. But I always think about that. I always think about like like, like Neanderthals. Neander, so, Neanderthals. So Neanderthals are... Is it thals or talls? I don't know. I see Neanderthal. <laughs> Who knows? I'm sure it depends <laughs> on who you ask. Now they lived at the same time as mm-hmm. Homo sapiens, mm-hmm. um, and pretty much everybody who's not of recent African ancestry is mm-hmm. part Neanderthal because they interbred with the people that. That's left what I heard. Yeah, they interbred. Africa. Yeah, yeah. Like, I have my Neanderthal genetic count actually because I did the uh, wouldn't that be twenty three me? Wouldn't that be weird though? The the interbreeding of those two species, like. But they must. But we're not used to. Here's the thing: we're thinking of like gross bestiality, whatever. Mm-hmm. But. We we're not used to the idea of there being another species that's almost the same. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, like you know, a wolf and a coyote, you don't mm-hmm. you don't blink an eye, but a wolf and a coyote are more distant than we and, and uh, Neanderthals. Yeah, exactly. So, mm-hmm. um, Neanderthals and and Homo sapiens were two branches of the same ancestral species. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't like we came from them. I mean, right, we, right. we we you and I did. We evolved it, at the same time. Yeah, exactly. We coexisted. Mm-hmm. One just kind of won out, and the other one died or got interbred into the general population, or both. Mm-hmm. Um, Wouldn't it be weird if they were still walking around today? <laughs> we have these uh, two different species. They are. I mean, well, well, in in part, in part, like very small part, like two to three percent of my yeah. DNA is is, yeah. is that right? But yeah. Um, but I always wondered how they like how they communicate. They must have had some type of language. I mean, it, it could I, not have just been body language and grunts. I think they, you know, yeah, I think they they proved that they had enough. Uh, vocal mobility or whatever to do that they had to have i mean otherwise how would they have evolved to what we've become now you know how is like you need language you need communication to to work together they they demonstrate that they're not stupid yeah no they weren't no i mean their brain size was the same as ours so how they're not bigger actually neanderthals yeah but uh, homo sapiens i'm talking about they're the same it's the same as we are close enough yeah Yeah, close enough no i mean i mean uh neanderthals at the time had bigger brains than homo sapiens right right that alone doesn't obviously it doesn't equate to intelligence i know that but at the same time like that means they would had at least access to the same brain power that we have similar i mean there's certain things i think that they didn't have i like uh, apparently they didn't bury their dead Mm-hmm. Is that important though? I don't know. No, I, why would it be? I mean, like yeah. that's that's a that's something that we've developed as a as a culture now. Yeah, that's but a, it's a cultural bit that. Yeah. Did it have a function? Maybe it kept disease from spreading from the dead to the, the living. Did I, the Vikings even bury their dead? I thought they gave them all like a sort of a, an at sea type of burial. Well, the fact that you have a ceremony at all, as opposed mm-hmm. to just going, oh, Gary's gone, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. On we go. Well, it sort of separates us from the animals, right? You see an animal die and. The rest of the herd or the flock or whatever just abandons it. They don't. They don't bury their. Some dead. spend a little more time though, like at least not necessarily doing a big ceremony, but like if you see elephants, for example, mm-hmm. um, I think they do a little bit of a paying respects mm-hmm. kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, but whether they concoct a big ceremony around it is something else. And, yeah. and just because, yeah. 
was there a function to burying the dead or was it just like uh who knows but apparently or did we start burying the dead because we realized that it was a sanitation kind of thing right Right? and and so there might be a functional part of it i don't know um but if we were roaming groups i don't know if we stuck together at that time Mm -hmm. they were or sorry stuck in stuck in one place at that time right if we were roaming groups and it wouldn't have mattered if you left a person out because Mm -hmm. you wouldn't be sticking around long anyway right um yeah, yeah you're you're moving. You're not you're not sticking around in that area where it's going to become a problem. It's not the body's not going to rot and create sanitation problems. Yeah, because again, people were so far and few between at that time. Our numbers were in the thousands, not millions, not mm-hmm. not uh, not uh, hundreds of millions, not billions. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't have really mattered. No, I suppose not. So we kind of we got away from what we were originally talking about. Oh, and I don't yeah. know if we covered most of what. I think we did cover most of what I wanted to talk oh, about. Oh, actually, there's one point I didn't touch on okay. um, about, uh, so this kind of, I, I guess it ties into human evolution. Mm-hmm. So um, this was proposed near the end of the Joe Rogan interview, and it, it was purely speculation, but I mean, it would be the only way, I think. You're talking about the one you have with Bob Lazar? Yeah. Yeah. So there'd be, this would be the only plausible scenario, I think, where somebody could see a humanoid on an alien spacecraft would be if they took our genetics, modified it and did a thing with it and made their own worker beings out of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, that's still pure speculation, but at least that is more plausible than they're like us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I always thought that was weird too, that these beings that come, they could, you know, knowing how life developed on earth and knowing that there's so many different varieties of life you yeah. know I mean? from everything from plants to fish to you know land like mammals on like everything is is kind of different why would they take our humanoid form or why would they develop it it's extremely unlikely form? but yeah. it, it might be more reflective of our lack of imagination like why wouldn't they just be a blob why couldn't they just be a, sure. a blob Who's, it, you know? it's it's kind of like a it's a little bit of an arrogance mm-hmm. thing because it's to like believe say, just to say our body plan is the best body plan yeah is it there's lots of things wrong with our body plan. oh there's huge weaknesses. Back, back problems knee yeah. problems yeah um uh, we're not very fast. No. Like, and then the other thing is, so he claimed these crafts had small seats, right? Something designed for something small. Right. So I was thinking of that too. First off, tell me more about the seats because that will say something about their anatomy. Yeah. Um, is it shaped like a seat for a human for a butt mm-hmm. or is it, uh, something else? That's what I pictured in my head. Yeah. So it's like, I need to know about these seats cause that would say something, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean that could also feed into like that George Knapp guy's theory about them being potential time travelers, right? From the future, coming back to sort of save us from ourselves and keep tabs on, or or find ways to alter what what they think needed to be altered without really affecting the that future. That opens up another uh, another can, which is the whole idea of if time travel is possible, why are we not constantly contacted by time travelers? Mm -hmm. And if they're really good at hiding the fact that they're time travelers, somebody's got to fuck it up, you Mm -hmm. know, like why has nobody fucked it up then? Yeah. Unless they've gotten so good with it that they've had to go back and actually fix things that they fucked up. But then that creates the whole time paradox. I know time paradox always sucks with my head. Yeah. It's not, it's not an easy one to think about because there's always, Oh, the smallest detail changes everything. Right. Um, it doesn't even have to be as drastic as oh, you go back and kill Hitler. It could just be you fart in the wrong place. But what if it's so far into our technological evolution that they've that they're 
more advanced in thinking than we are. So they they don't fuck it up. So they know that when they come back, that they means they got it. it that means they got it right right away because yeah. they didn't go through the growing pains of first. And, and then if this technology is widespread among their people, mm-hmm. there, there's a there's a few fuck ups in their population guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Who there's not a single technology that won't be misused mm-hmm. um, at some point. What if they were being so advanced that they now can be telekinetic and talk to each other, read everybody's thoughts, everybody knows, so you can't, we wouldn't have a they fuck got, up. They got a minority report kind of yeah. thing? Not even that. Like, they may be so advanced that they don't even use verbal language anymore. Like, it's just telekinetic communication, and they, that way, if that was the case, they'd know what everybody's thinking all the time. Well, that sounds terrifying. Thought it police. Does. It, thought police. But then you could also, you could also think of it as they would be like a collective consciousness, so there wouldn't be any fucks up, fuck ups. Or, yeah, or, so the, or were, the possibility of there being a fuck up would be very less, right? Yeah, because you'd know as soon as anybody had to, so, <coughs> excuse me, some kind of a dumb thought or some kind of a nefarious thought, um, it'd be shot down immediately. It'd be shot down immediately because you'd have potentially millions or billions of people going, "Hey, don't think that." Yeah, or that just doesn't work. That doesn't make sense. Get out of here! Don't even try it. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe the collective no from everybody else just blows that guy's head up and he's just gone. <laughs> wow, they ran out of individuals real quick. Yeah. Because I think having a human brain yeah. is damn near impossible not have yeah. a stupid thought once in a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's true. But yeah. It's true. We're having oversight. That's really all it needs to be. It doesn't even have to be, be a stupid thought. It just it'd be a quick be evolution though, wouldn't it? Uh, <laughs> because everybody that had a dumb idea would be gone. You'd have the smartest of the smart. Uh, I don't think you'd have anybody left. <laughs> <laughs> Masks don't work. <laughs> You're gone. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah, I don't know. I mean, shit. Yeah, dumb ideas pop in your head all the time. I mean, yeah. it doesn't mean that they're going to go anywhere. It just means they're dumb. Well, yeah, that's true. And and that I guess that's what makes us so unique, right? Is that we we do have these thoughts and sometimes a dumb thought turns into something really cool. By, I mean, hopefully you have self-recognition to go that's dumb. Don't don't pursue that. Or or that's dumb, but it's interesting, and how do I make it not dumb? How do I make it work? Oh, yeah, like there's a seed of something interesting, but yeah. it don't work the way I'm thinking. Like, think about the first person that thought about human flight. But even the, okay, but even if it's not a dumb thought, what if it's, what if it's the absence of a thought? What if it's an oversight, and mm-hmm. then we only realize the mistake after the fact? Yeah, that's problematic. Yeah. That could be, that could be very problematic. Which is why I don't think time travel... I don't think uh, time anybody's time traveled. Otherwise, yeah, time travel seems like I think they would fuck it up. Somebody yeah. would fuck it up. It seems improbable for sure. And I mean, how it just seems crazy because once you once you had the time machine invented and perfected, I mean, you could do anything. You could change everything. Yeah. Right. And then I guess there's the argument that we, you know, multiple universes and mm-hmm. every possible version of the universe exists as a different universe. So maybe yeah. we're just living in the one where nobody fucked up. I can't even but wrap my head around the size of the universe, let alone the size of our galaxy, the size of our universe. And then every possibility, like yeah. like pick your nose with your middle finger instead of your index finger. The, the there's two, there's a version where you did both of those. Yeah, that that <laughs> blew my mind. That theory where everything you've ever done has been done an infinite amount of times by an infinite infinite amount of use. With, the exact with same a, person with a slight difference, with a slight twist. Yeah, right. I can't even like that seems so unimaginable to me. Yet it is. But then it would also be true for everybody else, multiplied by right, right, yeah. So I don't know. And so how could that ever be? But you get these top, you know, scientists or 
theoretical physicist or whatever saying that that is a very plausible possibility and i'm going but that would be immeasurable because if if data from one universe can't reach the other universe you can't test it yeah it's a fucking thought experiment it's, yeah. it's not based in any kind of real science but somebody dreamed that up and then a bunch of people said yeah that could be that oh, could be maybe. a case and yeah. i go i can't i can't wrap my head around that. i don't know how much of a stretch that is to say that i think it's a big stretch yeah i mean really think about it like the fact that we've not found any kind of artifacts, like nobody, even radio signals, like we, if, if there have been other intelligent civilizations, radio signals can travel a really far distance. They don't really decay in space. They can go forever. Right. right? But again, you know, if uh, the civilization we're trying to contact is more than 100 light years away, well, radio has been around for how long? Right. So, I mean, you know, our, our message has not been intercepted yet. You know? Right, right. Um, or I mean just us collecting one even. Yeah. Like we've collected stuff that has had some type of a pattern, but they can always sort of uh, dismiss it away based on interference. Yeah, like, oh, it's a binary star. And yeah. That's why it's that kind of pattern. Right. Yeah. Right. But we haven't got anything that sounds like a series of patterns that are different that have all come from the same signal. Right. Right. Which would, which would indicate somebody trying to send us a message. Right. But I think they're going about it the right way in that that is the most likely way they probably would communicate. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah. Or even light. L let's say they communicate with light. Like light would be a little more difficult, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose it would be, right? Because that's be like... Because radio can, I think, can penetrate some things that light can't. Um, I, I, mean, I don't mm -hmm. know I don't know why. I know they're both on the elect I electromagnetic far, spectrum. I wonder how far a, pro, uh, a photon can go in space. Infinite. Infinite? As long but as it doesn't bang. As long as it isn't intercepted, yeah. Um, but a single photon is hard to pick up. Yeah. And right. there's a lot of noise. Right. There's right. a lot of background noise. Yes. Yeah, actually, oh, I watched an interesting video. That, that's funny you say that. Um, oh, what was it? They were talking about your size, not in the sense of how big you are, mm -hmm. but how big your footprint is in the sense of if you're standing outside and photons are bouncing off you, how far do they go? Mm -hmm. You know, um, or if you're dispersing your photons back into space because it's reflecting off you, how mm -hmm. many, how far away can you be and still detect you? And I think it was something ridiculous, like photons from you, you know, you could be down to two photons or whatever at like uh, 50 million. I don't even remember what yeah. it was, but it was, it was a big distance to say, you know, you're, it's the idea that you could be in the middle of a canyon. You can shout and you're affecting all those air molecules mm -hmm. out to however far your shout mm -hmm. could be picked up by something. Right. Um, so it's like, what is your impact? footprint in that sense like how big are you you mm -hmm. know it, it was kind of interesting hmm. yeah and again that stuff seems so out of this world to my brain like i can't eat like there's so many more important things to think about that are right in front of my face than to think about oh yeah that kind of stuff But again it's just one of those interesting to think about of course things. of yeah. course it is but i just i can't wrap my head around it and you start talking about billions of years and like billions you can't even we can't even comprehend you can't the comprehend it it's so big yeah. you know what i mean like we're used to we're dealing in what's what's a good human lifespan 90 years if you're lucky yeah well right? just numbers in general we can't comprehend comprehend anything that's too small or too big right we live in this little like center safe area that of numbers that are relevant to our lives mm -hmm. like 23 we can comprehend 23 mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but you know yeah but not 23 billion. Exactly. It, it, it doesn't even make sense to me. I saw a thing with money one time, and it was so long ago, And but they, they showed the difference between a billion and a, and a trillion. A million, a billion, and a trillion. Yeah. And it, I couldn't believe how much more a billion was than a million yep. in, in a visual 
in a visual yeah, like a thousand they, times but like what's a thousand even that's even a high number for oh us my to God. comprehend and i could i like when they laid it out the way they did with the visual graphics i yeah. was like holy cow yeah that is unbelievable and then from a billion to a trillion was even more mind blowing yeah and it was like I, I could, and again, I couldn't wrap my head around. It. Like you hear these numbers all the time. Oh, the you know the United States spent twenty three billion dollars, uh, and you're like, yeah, yeah, twenty three billion. That sounds like a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot, right? Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, I think somebody made an analogy of oh, if you were in ancient Sumeria and you invested this amount of money every whatever, and then you did that up until today, how rich do you think you would be? Mm-hmm. And it's like, sorry, Jeff Bezos is still way richer than you are. You know? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. The the amount of money these people have, these these tech billionaires and it's so crazy to it's me. Absurd. It's absurd. You know, and at least some of them are doing some interesting stuff to further humanities. Right, but anybody with money could throw money at people with brains. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it shouldn't I, I that goes off onto a new a new conversation. Mm-hmm. Should anybody should anybody be able to get that rich? I it's not relative to they worked for it because there's yeah. no way that you know Elon mm-hmm. Musk worked you know 20,000 times harder than I did. Yeah. But how do you cap it? How do you ever tell somebody, "Hey, this thing that you invented, <coughs> it made a bunch of money, but uh you're only allowed to collect so much and then the rest you got to give back to us." Right? Because you're giving it to people. The only people you could really give it to would be the government. Right, but it and wouldn't Who the fuck trusts the government to do If it's well allocated, I don't mind. If it's well allocated. Yeah. But you're talking to a guy who's worked in municipal level government for a long time. I'll tell you, things are no, not. I know, I things know. are not well allocated. Oh, I know, I know. You know, we have crumbling infrastructure all over the place, and we're focusing money on things that matter to nobody. And meanwhile, the the infrastructure these people depend on yeah. for things like being able to flush their toilet or get clean water or whatever are being neglected. And it, yeah. that, that's a slippery slope because there's only it's only a matter of time before that catches up to a lot of municipalities. And it's not just I'm not just talking about the one I work for or the one that I worked for previously. I'm talking about every municipality and you see it throughout North America. Europe, it's caught up to them now. They've had new technologies to replace like there's still sewers in London that are hand laid brick sewers. Oh yeah, they're like uh pre Victorian. Yeah. Yeah. But they found ways to update these and, and line them and do certain things so that they'll so that they'll they'll last. But our infrastructure is quickly approaching that. You know, within the next fifty years, if we don't start really paying attention, we're going to have crumbling infrastructure. And it's going to cost oh, yeah. a lot of money. Now, one thing that Europe does have though is higher taxes, but maybe they're better at allocating them too. Yeah, um, and that's the thing. Like, who's to say what is? You know, again, going back to these billionaires. So yeah, they've got a billion dollars, but now you got to give it to someone. Who's to say? Who follows up with the government to make sure that they are allocating that appropriately? Or maybe it'd just go directly to a grant for right something else and bypass. Yeah, I just think any. I don't know the answer to that. I just think anytime you involve humans with somebody else's money, you know, like we are a funny creature. We want to do good. I think most people are good, most. Right, but power also universally correct corrupts. That's exactly where I was going with that. Most people are good, but when they when they're faced with a tough choice to where they can radically improve their lives in a short amount of time by doing something that isn't good, a lot of people. Not I shouldn't say a lot. Do it, but. It's you a, think most? It's good survival if you think about it. Like I don't know if most ki- would do it. Though. I think we're hardwired to. It depends on what the thing was. Yeah. Uh, and how devious it was. Yeah. Um, like if you had somebody who was all of a sudden given this job for a ch- like let's just say if some sort of fictitious charity. Yeah. 
hey, uh, we just got a big donation. It's uh, it's a million bucks. And uh, you got to deposit the check. And that million bucks is going to go to, uh, we're going to split it up. We're going to have a bunch of homeless people that we know are homeless right. that have proved to us that they're, they've just down on their luck. Um, but we're going to give them some money to get them back on their feet. Uh, there's there's a, a thousand of them, or let's say a hundred thousand of them. Yeah. And we can only give them each a little bit of money. So here's the check. It won't it won't be a lot, but it'll be something to give them a start. And then you go, well, this fucking money is not going to help those people a whole lot, but it's going to help me a whole lot. Right, but that's you making a decision. What if you're in a different position where you're not the one making the decision, but it's been made okay to do the thing? Like, um, let's say you work for a company and you know what they're doing is unethical. Mm-hmm. You want to report them. You maybe want to leave, but the money's so good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And... You might stay and you might not say anything. In that case, I would probably say most people would do that. Yeah. Because but, most people... Because you're just like, well, I was just playing along. Correct. I'm just playing a role. I'm not in charge of this. It's, you're not ultimately responsible for it. Right. But I'm talking about scenarios where you're directly responsible for that action, right? You're the you're the sole decision maker. Right. And you're holding that cash. That takes a little bit I more. I wouldn't say most would do that. But, no, But no. there are people that would. Oh, for right? sure. So you take this money from these people that have created these huge companies and you get, give it to someone like the government, right? Mm-hmm. The quote unquote, the government, which is a group of people. It's it, not one person. Yeah. How do you trust any of those people to do the right thing with that money? Can you trust them less than the billionaires? But you don't have to trust the billionaires because the billionaires aren't in it to help you, aren't, aren't, aren't in it to help the greater. They're, they're not responsible for helping right, the greater but population. One way or the other, the money's in somebody's hands. Right. So, but, it, it, but at least those yeah. guys have earned it. They've created companies. But have they? Well, they've created uh, companies that have. A lot of times they do it on the backs of people that make way less. Oh, guarantee. Yeah. I mean, mo- most times. Yeah, for sure. Most like, times. Like, certainly the Waltons for I Walmart. Would say every time. Certainly Amazon. Uh, I hear it's hell to work in the Amazon. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, what's it called? The it's hell to work warehouse. in any factory. I mean, as a guy that's worked in, in factories over the years, like, uh, I've had two factory jobs my, in my life. Both times I quit after a week. I could not handle it. It yeah. was the the worst conditions. And guess what? It's not the worst conditions. It's just the worst conditions because it's not suited to me. But yeah. there's people that do that for 35 fucking years. Yeah. And they go into these factories and they work their asses off for low pay. And they hope they have a pension. Some of them have pensions. Some of them don't. Now, it used to be more lucrative, that kind of work. Like if you worked at Stelco. Yeah. Like my uncle did. And he and was a crane operator, which is probably a little less tedious. Yeah. But yeah. Um, and it still is. I mean, yeah. there are factories like Toyota, for example. Yeah. Toyota pays really good money. There's a reason people go to work at Toyota, hate their lives, and continue to work there. It's yeah. because they make good money. Yeah. And there are a lot of factories like that. But there are also a lot of factories in Canada that pay you more than minimum wage. Like let, let's let's face it, nobody's working at a factory these days unless you're making more than minimum wage because you can yeah. work at a retail store and make minimum wage, and the conditions are much better. For sure. But you know, let's let's say you're making twenty bucks an hour. Yeah. Right. I think the one factory job I had was paying me 21 bucks an hour. Mm. That's not amazing money, but it's decent money. You can make a good living on that. I think it also depends on where you've been before. If you were yeah. making $12 an hour before, that sounds great. Right, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. Um, where are we going with this? Where do, how do we, how do we just, arrive on this? I think this is just a tangent that we were oh, inevitably going to go on. The billionaire, <laughs> the billionaire is making money off the other people's backs. Yeah. Right? So... The conditions are not bad, but you know that what you're doing is producing a product for that company as a as a group, as the people you look around and the people down the line from you, as a group, you're making a product that is making that company a lot of money. Yeah. And you see what you're making, you go, fuck, this isn't fair. But at the same time, 
you're making a living, right? So, well, and, you, and you're making a choice well, that, to be there. That's a new thing, though. You might not be making a living when you hear about people at Walmart who, you know, they work uh, 40 hours a week, but they're still not making a living wage. Yeah. That's fucked up. And it, like it you, is. you, you, yeah, you shouldn't you shouldn't be able to work that many hours and not be able to pay to live. No, but who's but is that Walmart's fault? Yes. Because apparently Target did a better job. What what I mean by that question is though, is that Walmart's fault or is that the fault of our our society or our government for not keeping things? Well that's that's why I'd say right? again, this might tie back into that inequality it's in certain countries only, that that, that can yeah. even happen. Because I hear that term a lot, living wage. What does that even mean, right? Because let's say you're working for minimum wage, okay? It, it means that you can have your necessities covered and you don't own anything for it. You right. Just, at the very least, you break even. Right. So you, you don't think you can do that making minimum wage? Depends what that means where you are. Right. Um. So if you live within your means, you can make that a living wage. You can, you I can think there's been calculations done where in certain states, um, if you have a Walmart job, you're not exactly going to, you're not going to be able to live exactly. And you just said the magic words there in certain states, and I would I would argue in certain countries and certain provinces within our own country, right? Because it's the fault of the government. They are yeah. not supplementing the people. Like if you make below a certain amount of money, yeah, and the government knows what it takes to live. For example, in Toronto, mm-hmm. you go work in Toronto, right? If you're making minimum wage in Toronto, you're not living anywhere in Toronto. No. You better be driving into Toronto from Cambridge. Right, which and means living that, in Cambridge. which means that either the minimum minimum wage needs to be raised. Yeah. Or something needs to be done as far as the expenses. And that's my point. So whose fault is it really? It's the fault of the government. If if they know the minimum wage is not enough. For example, maybe the minimum wage isn't across the board in the whole province. Yeah. Because if you're living in Air, Ontario, right. and making minimum wage, you're likely going to be able to afford a place to live and feed yourself and buy some extras. If you're working in Toronto and making minimum wage, you're not affording anything other than... That opens a new can of remote work and being where you are. Yep. And, you know, I, I could be working for a Toronto company, but sure. living in Nunavut, you sure. know? And, make, and making Toronto dollars. Yeah. And paying Nunavut Nunavut prices for things. Yeah. Now, Nunavut's maybe a bad example. Because yeah, because I think they probably pay more <laughs> to import everything. <laughs> everything like, is imported and costs uh, a fortune. I have no idea how much it costs there. Yeah. Or maybe I should have picked... Uh, Manitoba. Let's say, sure. let's say Winnipeg. <laughs> let's say, well, Winnipeg's a bad example, too, because Winnipeg's going to uh, be right, a what, What's city. a place that's a trade center but is cheaper? Oh, man. All right, I don't know. I Canada doesn't have a lot I of don't options. Know. No, it doesn't, because... The, all the places I can think of are always big cities, and big cities. I'm thinking. Yeah, okay, let's. I don't know, Regina. You know, we're like. Yeah. But even Regina. It's not a big trade center, but I mean, yeah. It, at least things pass through there, you know. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, it, I guarantee rent and yeah home ownership cheaper. Yeah, and if you're working remotely, like you said, and working for a Toronto company, you could be making those dollars yep. and living there and, and saving a ton of money. And I know there's people that have done that. I've seen these. You know these shows like on, like House Hunters on uh, HGTV and stuff, where yeah. they, where people are, excuse me, working remote jobs, and they want to live in like Costa Rica, yeah, or Cuba, or not Cuba is a bad example because the states don't really go to Cuba, but mm-hmm. but I know for sure the one that I saw, I'm not sure if it was like Thailand. I think they were living in Thailand, but working for a stateside company and doing everything online, right? Now there are legalities as far as like paying taxes yeah, and getting yeah. income and all that, where you yeah. have to be a certain amount of time in the country and stuff like that. So there's at least some rules. Mm -hmm. Um, The States is funny with that though, because they've got Puerto Rico where it's, where it's it's owned by the States, but it's not a state. So you don't pay any taxes there. 
You pay taxes, but you don't get to vote, I think. No, you don't pay taxes because there's no there's no representation without taxation. So they are not represented in in Puerto Rico. I thought it was taxation without representation. No, no representation. Nobody pays taxes in Puerto Rico. Nobody. Are you sure? Yep. Or if they do, they're significantly reduced. Like they're they're not like the stateside taxes. Really? Yeah, because there's a guy that works to again another guy that's always on Rogan. Um, that moved there and operates his company from there so that he can shelter the money. And he, and he openly says it. He says, I don't know why all business owners are not trying to move their their business to Puerto Rico mm. because they don't pay the taxes that you do living stateside. Mm. So I forget what that quote is, though. I th- it, We should look that up after. I think it's no representation oh, you know without what I th- taxation. I think you're thinking of the Washington, or sorry, the D.C., Slogan. If you have, I think it's even on the DC license plates. Maybe if I'm not mistaken. Hold on, I will. That's how. That's how this guy equated it, though. He said, "We're not. We don't have representation. We don't get to vote." He said, "But we also don't pay the taxes that you would pay stateside, living in Puerto Rico." I thought, yeah. Oh wait, no taxation without representation. That's not it. That is me. Thirteen colonies. Um. Either way, um, and again, I don't know how we arrived on that point. <laughs> I don't know how we got to this point. It's just one of them. One of them good. Uh, yeah. Oh, here. Oh, I can't even find it. Whatever. It's not yeah, important. It's somewhere. Yeah. The, uh, the point that I was making, I think, was oh, going back to making the kind of money that you could in living somewhere else to not pay the taxes to li- so that now you're. Now your living wage becomes way more, oh, for or your sure. wage becomes way more because of where you're living. Right. You're not, and and so again, I'll I'll put that back to the fault of the government because for not paying attention. Like everyone likes to blame these company owners, but the company owners have they're playing by the rules that were set. They're playing by the rules that were set, and and who's to say that because their company took off and because this product that they make, I, I mean, well, I I mean, there's a uh, another argument that. Capitalism itself leads you to that because you have to, otherwise you can't play. Correct. Which is b- exploit as many below you as you can because it's better business to yeah. do that. And there have been companies that have changed that model. Yeah. You know, there have been companies where they, the more profit they make, the more they share with their with their. Well, that'd be like a co-op, right? Yeah. Almost. Well, I yeah, mean, that, it that, would be. That would, it be, would be. That'd be more shared ownership, and they you, yes. you elect a board of directors. Or That's whatever. how I saw it. So I saw yeah. it as a shared ownership thing. Like the one I saw years ago was a bakery. Yeah. And the bakery said, everybody that works here has a share in the company. Yeah. We are all working toward making the most profit because we're all splitting the profit. Right. So that's considered a co op. Yeah. yeah. Which is why I bank at a uh, credit union, which is a co op. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then that, that would be a non capitalist thing working in the mm-hmm. same monetary system that we do i guess mm-hmm. hmm. therefore aliens therefore aliens have they visited we still haven't answered that question we've been <laughs> talking for two hours two hours and five minutes and we have not <laughs> answered a single question that i had coming into this but i knew we wouldn't because there's no way for us to answer that. I, I thought we were going to solve the mystery right here actually <laughs> i just wanted to have a discussion with you because i was interested in your take and, and you gave me your angles i, I got what i wanted out of you um I'm happy to say I think I hit on every note that I had. So I definitely hit on mine. I wasn't expecting but to, but it worked out. Yeah. So, but it was interesting to have this conversation, man. I, I'm glad you you were able to do it with me again because I only put these things out once in a blue moon. I thought this would be a great one to do. 
Uh, clearly, we hit on a lot of things, and I, and I think this will be interesting for people to listen to. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> and if not, they can just turn it off. It'll I mean, what's, what's the harm? Hey, it doesn't make good. me any money. Nobody even follows the page or likes it. So <laughs> there's probably, literally, there, there may be 10 of our friends listening to this. So for anybody else that's not a friend of mine, if you happen to find this podcast and find it interesting, thank you for, for listening. Um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about before we uh, wrap this up? Um, hmm. I can't think of anything. Yeah, I think we, I think we beat this horse to death. Yeah, and now we're just beating a dead horse. That's why we ended up <laughs> on a completely different topic. <laughs> we went off. That's usually how it goes, though, isn't it? Like the last, like every podcast, the last, the yeah. last fifth of the conversation is about something completely different. My favorite podcast I listen to are always just free form conversations. I, yeah. I hate the ones that are like. Like you're watching 60 Minutes where the guy just asks a question and then the person gives a, a brief answer and then they ask another question and sometimes they don't even finish the thought and it drives me crazy. Yeah. I hate those ones. Yeah, yeah. My favorite podcasts are always free form, you know, lots of jokes and you yeah. know, whatever. And so I, I always try to aim mine to be like that. And I think it feels more like you're sitting listening into a conversation instead of yeah, an interview. For right? sure. What so, are some, what are the, obviously, you mentioned Joe Rogan. What are some of the yeah. other podcasts you're kind of into? I listen to a lot of comedian, comedian podcasts. So I listen yeah. to like Ch- the Church of What's Happening Now, which is a comedian by the name of Joey Diaz. Oh, yeah. yeah. Ma- he's he's like listening to one of my uncles. And, and I'm not kidding around. Like, he, he feels like he could be in Has he family. been on Getting Dug With High a bunch of times? He's I'm old, sure he has. He's an older guy, yeah, right? He is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. big guy, right? Raspy voice calls everybody a cocksucker. Yeah, I he think I know what you're talking guys. about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's amazing. Um, Bill Burr's podcast is great. The Monday Morning Podcast with Bill Burr's. I saw part of the one with Snoop Dogg on there. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I saw that one. On Bill Burr's podcast? Yeah. Pretty sure oh, it was his I podcast. I didn't hear that then. Oh, maybe, maybe Bill Burr was on Snoop's. Oh, he might have been yeah. on Snoop's. Might yeah, the other that might have been the other yeah. way around. Um, and then uh, Greg Fitzsimmons has a has a real good one too. Do you know who he is? I know the name. Yeah, and then Tom Papa's got one, but I haven't listened to any of them yet. Oh but yeah, he's a he's a funny he's a funny guy too, man. Tom Papa is a hilarious comedian, and he's no like I'm not gonna say an older guy. I mean, he's like early fifties probably. Yeah, but it's uh, just so funny and such a such a cool guy. And uh, but that's mostly like what I listen to. If I if I got free time, that's that's what I hit on. Yeah. I like uh, you listen. You said comedians. You listen to yeah. Neil Brennan's. No, no, Neil Brennan's hilarious. Well, how, how Neil feel or whatever. Yeah. How Neil feel? Yeah, I've heard of that podcast. I've not tuned in that one. There's so many out there. Everybody's got one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another one that is too that I forgot to mention was um, there's a podcast called That One Time on Tour. Okay. And there's a there's a gentleman who used to be in the Ataris. His name is Chris Swinney, mm-hmm. and he's got this podcast where he interviews uh, people from sort of the punk punk rock and rock world. Okay. And it's it's terrific, by the way. Chris, uh, I hope to have Chris on. I I've been in communication with him sort of off and on, and I'm hoping to get him on the air. A lot of it comes down to my laziness. You know what I mean? It's like it's motivation, time. Okay. I put one of these out. I think the last one I put out with with. Uh, Rob and, and Matt from Shred Penner. So wait, does that mean I was your second last podcast then? Because I did, I did the one with uh, Johnny Elder. Okay, correct. And yeah. then I did Rob and Matt after that, and now you're back on. All right. So, and I'd love to have you on, man. If you want to come on ever again, if you ever for think sure. of some topics that we yeah. can discuss, and some you, random shit is good by me. I would love it. I would love it, man. Yeah, yeah. But thanks for being on again. I really appreciate it. Um, do you want to give out anything else? Is there any information you want to give out, people? If you want. Yeah, my credit card number is <laughs> four or five. <laughs> what yeah. about your Instagram handle? You want to give that out? Uh, at Taco Steve, but you won't find anything very interesting on there. <laughs> I I would beg to differ. You'll find the occasional sign that I find funny, and uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. maybe maybe a picture of a dog. I don't know. <laughs> 
<laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right, Ryan. Thank you very much for being here, man. Again, I can't thank you enough. Every time someone comes on, I'm, I'm honored that they want to sit down and record something with me. And it's just, it's fun to do. And I'm happy that people want to sit down every once in a while and do it with me. So hey man, thank fun. you very much. Ain't no problem. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the I Gotta Ask podcast. Um, if you like what you've heard, I say this at the end of every single one, uh, go and like the Facebook page, follow it on Instagram, and uh, give me your feedback. Uh, leave posts there and let me know what you think of the episodes. If they're garbage, tell me and I'll stop. <laughs> I don't care. I'm doing this for, I'm just doing this for fun. So uh, if there's a way to improve that you can give me, give me your, your honest feedback. I'll take it. And hit the like button on all this stuff. Uh, share it around if you wouldn't mind and, and if you like what you've heard and and have your friends give it a listen and help me out. And uh, other than that, thank you for, again for tuning in and we'll see you on the next one. Take care.